Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. There is no script for this show. It's never been scripted. I'll tell you a story. Once upon a time, years ago, many moons ago, I was just a young man on another sports radio station in, uh, in Portland that I know, uh, no longer appear on. Uh, because I'm li- on the station you listen to. And uh, they said to me, Kanzano, uh, you know, we're thinking about giving you a show. And I said, okay. And uh, I said, what do you want me to do? They said, well, why don't you do like a tryout show? And I don't blame them for that because back in the day I was, uh, I was just a, uh, I, wasn't, I was a sports columnist. I wasn't a radio show host. I was an occasional guest on other people's shows. And I was told how difficult it was. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, it is difficult to a certain degree. But let's not confuse the job that I do. Flipping the switch. Taking care of some uh, logistical issues with technology. A couple computers. Getting them locked in. Some equipment. There's a little bit of engineering to this job. But uh, also there's the organization of the show. And frankly, uh, you know, finding what is relevant, interesting different what makes you think what makes you feel each segment like that's my aim with this show like but i digress the uh i was told that it was really difficult and i was also told hey you know you're on your own generally these shows are multiple people right it's a cast of uh, characters but i was on my own doing a radio show and that i'd never done before and i gotta tell you the show open played the music came on I came out of the gates firing. I had a few things scripted on a piece of paper that I wanted to talk about. And, you know, I started talking about these things. And I was going into great detail and great depth. And and, and the only other time I have had a similar feeling to which I had that day doing my very first radio show was, uh, you know, years ago we got a swim spa installed in our house. In-ground swim spa. Great idea. It's got a jet. I was going to swim against this thing. This is going to be what I did. I, I was not particularly a good swimmer, but I thought, you know what? That's a great exercise, and especially as you age, it's great on your joints, right? You can swim. I see you swimmers when I go to the gym. But I was swimming in that, that uh, swim spa that very first time, and I had the same experience that I had on my very first radio show. I was swimming and thinking and swimming and kicking my legs and taking a stroke here and a stroke there, and I could feel the jet pushing against me. And for people who don't know, a swim spa, you're essentially in one place, and you're just swimming against the current that is created by the jet that is part of the swim spa. And uh, it's a pretty cool experience, and I was swimming and swimming and swimming, and I thought, gosh, you know, this is what, I got, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a swimmer now. I might do triathlons. Like All this stuff was going through my head as I was – swimming in this swim spa for the very first time and I thought gosh I must have been swimming for like 10 12 minutes and and, and I took a peek I just took a peek out of the pool I'd put a clock right by the pool so I could see how long I was swimming for and I was swimming for like three minutes 
And, and it was the same experience on the radio show. I got in, and I started talking about the topics, and I thought, here I go. I'm kicking my legs. I'm taking strokes. I'm talking about the Blazers. I'm talking about whatever. And I thought, well, I must be about eight or ten minutes into this radio show. And I looked up, and I was three minutes into the show, and I was out of material. I told somebody today, I don't script anything on this show. It, it just isn't scripted. There's a show sheet, and I think the fellas can vouch for me when they tell you it is, it is a skeleton. Literally was sent to them right before the show began. It's got our guests on there. It's got the phone numbers for the guests. It has a loose outline of what we want to do in a couple of segments. But by and large, uh, this radio show will consist of 12 segments. And on about eight or nine of those segments, it's blank. There's nothing scripted. I'll never script this show. And I, and I once upon a time did, uh, you know, was in Los Angeles, and FS1 has those roundtable sports discussions. Fox does these roundtable sports shows, and ESPN does these shows, and, and I've been guests on these shows, but I never had hosted a show, and they invited me in one summer because I guess the, guests, the, the hosts were out, and they were wanting to bring in some people and let them uh, fill in some time, and what I gathered was these shows that you watch, and I'm talking about Stephen A. Smith, and I'm talking about you know Colin Coward, and I'm talking about uh, whatever else you're watching on te- television when it comes to sports and sports talk, they are very scripted. Literally, they were asking each other, well, what are you going to say? Which topic are we going to talk about, and what are you going to say? So everybody wanted to know what everybody else was going to say before they actually said it. And i got to be honest, I open the show every day, and I don't have the foggiest idea what we're going to do in the late in the 3 o'clock hour or the 4 o'clock hour or the 5 o'clock hour outside of the guests that we have booked. I just let it rip. And I feel like sometimes, and maybe, you know, you're more tuned into this now because you've kind of, I think the, the viewer has become savvy to what's going on on these shows. Like we saw Stephen A. Smith uh, go at it with J.J. Reddick and C.J. McCollum a week ago, and it was a big deal, and they, like, they, made, they made Stephen A. Smith look bad on his own show, and everybody was like, ooh, is this what it's supposed to be about? Or, you know, is it fair game on ESPN host or whatnot? But i got to tell you that I believe... Like, I don't know for a fact, but I believe that they all knew what was going to happen in those segments, just from my own experience. Now, I was on a show with Gabe Kapler, who's the Giants manager, and Andy Roddick, who plays tennis. And they had a host who was hosting the show, and I was in the middle of those two guys. And it was really interesting that, you know, they pre-show wanted to know what everybody was thinking and I said I don't I don't quite know what I'm going to say when you say something. I I don't know what I'm going to say. Do you know what you're going to say when you wake up in the morning all day long? I don't. I wait for the people around me and the circumstances around me to dictate it. But I think it's part of what is wrong right now in sports media. And I want to talk about this because I feel like we are constantly being manipulated. We are constantly being uh baited into watching these shows. We are baited into uh, these fake arguments that don't really happen, you know, and I have told people over the years, look, I've done lots of local television. I've done a few national appearances and whatnot. The hosts and the shows that are the best, like the Dan Patrick show, that's not all scripted. Dan isn't waking up in the morning and going, here's what I'm going to say about this. No, no, no. They're talking topics. They say this is the topic we want to talk about in this segment or this hour, and they're making that up as they, you know, start to produce the show in the morning. And I really believe in that because I feel like, you know, I want the show to feel organic. I want it to feel natural. I want it to feel like it's a real conversation that you are dropping into. 
And I think the fear that the national shows have, and the television shows in particular have, is they don't want to be boring. They don't want everybody to agree. They don't want everybody to kind of come out and go, you know, Stephen Ace thinks this, and then J.J. Reddick goes, yeah, me too, and then C.J. goes, me too. That's boring, right? Nobody wants to watch people get along. In reality television, you know, they aren't doing a reality television show about, you know, the hunky-dory family where everybody gets along and nobody's arguing. No, they look for the absolute nightmare families and workplaces and circumstances. They stick personalities and in positions where they know they're going to foster conflict. They know what they're doing on The Bachelor and on Big Brother and on Survivor. You know that. I know that. And they're doing it now with our sports media shows, and they're doing it blatantly. Like, I I really do appreciate good analysis, good discussion. Like, for me, what wins in sports media is stuff that makes you think, makes you feel, makes you consider your own position. It's why I love the parts of the show where the callers will call in and maybe challenge each other or challenge me or offer a dissenting viewpoint. And I always say, look, there's no dumb question, there's no dumb caller. Sometimes the, sometimes it is. Like Sometimes there is somebody and I go, that wasn't the best caller, that wasn't the best thing that somebody said. But I often think that you speak for others when you do that. And it's part of why, like, when I crack the mic to start this show, I don't know where it's going to go. But, man, it always surprises me in the best of ways. And, you know, I've been thinking about a lot of things that have to do with sports in our state. We're going to talk about it on today's show. It's going to be very Pacific Northwest-centric. I know there's an NBA Finals that's going on. It's interesting. But we're going to be very Pacific Northwest-centric. We're going to talk about the Pac-12 conference and the transfer quarterbacks that are dominating the conference right now. We're going to talk about what Oregon State is doing especially well, I think, in college baseball and in gymnastics and some other things. And, and I'm going to wonder and maybe, maybe challenge Oregon State to do better in football and in men's basketball where it really counts. We're going to talk about the University of Oregon. We're going to talk about you know, what happens to the University of Oregon after Phil and Penny Knight, you know, decades from now are gone from the equation. We're going to talk about University of Portland and Portland State. How can they continue to matter in a college landscape that is shifting beneath their feet? We're going to talk about all that plus some youth sports and some other things. But I'm going to tell you, nothing here is scripted. And I think, you know, the other staff members of the show can vouch for me and say, look, it's not scripted. It's not, you know, there's nothing here that is that is mysterious, but I'm also not going to mistake what I do on this show for the work that you do out there on a daily basis, whether you're a delivery driver or holding a jackhammer or teaching kids in schools. Like, there's a degree of difficulty to your job that other people don't understand. I've never met anybody who worked a job who said, nope, my job's just as easy as you think it is. No, this job's got its challenges, but it's not lifting a jackhammer, and it's not dealing with 28 third graders, and it's not... Uh, you know, working in an ER with people coming through the door and still wearing a mask every day as they are in hospitals these days. So we're going to do an honest show is what I'm saying. Nothing scripted. Any argument that you hear or any difference of opinion that you hear on this show, it's not going to be because we had a pre-show meeting and I said, hey, Peter, this is what you should say, and then I'll say this, and then you say that, and it'll be good when we disagree. Or, Sean, this is what you're going to say, and we'll disagree with each other. Nope. If we disagree, it's just because we disagree. we got a great show for you, though. We're going to go to Corvallis next. Corvallis, Oregon, the home of the super regional sudden death do-or-die game between Oregon State and Auburn today. We'll be uh, joining a media member who is live on the scene at Goss Stadium. After that, we'll be talking about the transfer quarterbacks, including Bo Nix at Oregon. How good can these teams be? 
with the revolving door at the quarterback position? And why is everybody in the conference seemingly using a transfer these days? We'll talk about it all. Leave it here. you got the BFT statewide. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I think you could make an argument in a strong case for Pat Casey being the greatest success story from the state of Oregon in the history of our state when it comes to sports. Like, there isn't a better story. His program has three national championships. It is local grown. You look at the guys that participated in those championship teams, and now you're seeing some of them on the coaching staff that is one win away from getting back to Omaha. Mitch Canham. The catcher from the 06-07 teams now has his team on the cusp of uh, Omaha. Uh, Oregon State and Auburn will play at 4.30 today at Goss Stadium. Joining us from the scene, Carter Bonds, senior writer, Beaver Blitz. He's been all over this story. Good follow on Twitter as well. Carter, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. Uh, Just getting ready uh, in a couple of minutes here to head over to Goss for what should be a pretty electric atmosphere, obviously about as high of a stakes game as you can get in Corvallis. And uh, I, I have a feeling Beaver Nation is going to show up in full force again today, and it's it's going to be a pretty cool scene. Give me an idea, because I swung by Goss Stadium before Saturday's game, and there was electricity with nobody in the park. Like, literally the people that were setting up and getting, uh, like, the vendors that were getting ready for to set up for the game. And, like, you could just tell that there was big stuff happening uh, game one goes to Auburn. Game two yesterday goes to Oregon State. Um, what was what was that scene like? Is as uh, you know, you see a, a strong pitching performance, uh, and uh, you know, uh, Jerpy Cooper Jerpy throwing a, a, I think a good solid five and two thirds, and then the Beavers getting it done. Well, it felt really tense in there, you know, to to begin with. I think Oregon State fans, obviously, you know, facing elimination. Um, they're a little quieter than they were going into to Saturday's game one, but with every strikeout that Cooper Jerby threw, I could kind of feel the energy start to you know trickle its way back in. Uh, and then Oregon State scores two uh, to get on the board first with with two solo shots in the fourth, and uh, from there you know they were kind of off to the races. Uh, you know, staved off staved off a, a comeback effort from Auburn, but. Um, you know, to, to speak to the energy, you know, you mentioned it, <laughs> even when there's nobody in there, you can see, you know, the security people, the, uh, you know, the support staff who's there, uh, it, you can feel it. And, and postseason baseball at Goss is, uh, it's, it's a really special environment. And I think, you know, after the way Oregon State won yesterday, these, these fans, like I said, are, are going to bring it tonight. This game's always about pitching. Uh, Oregon State on the mound tonight in this pivotal game starting at 4.30. How do you like their pitching matchup? Well, we don't know exactly who Oregon State's going to throw. I imagine, I mean, it it will probably be Jacob Kamatz. Um, I don't see them making a a, a dramatic change here uh, in a do-or-die situation. I think you're going to go with a true freshman who's who's given you a, a lot of good stuff all year. You know, he's uh, he's one of the best freshman pitchers in the country for a reason. And I, I like the way he matches up against Mason Barrett uh, from Auburn, who comes in with a 3-2 record, 4-1-3 ERA. Uh, similar numbers from these two guys. But I think, you know, the, the pitching has been the story of this series. Auburn came in having scored a ton of runs in their regional. Um, you had a feeling that Oregon State was going to need to, 
to get uh, you know some better performances than they had gotten in, in recent weeks from Jake Fennigs in the opener and then Jacob Kamatz in a potential game three. So um, it, it's going to be interesting to see you know how a true freshman in Kamatz comes out and throws in a game uh, w- with this you know this magnitude. Uh, assuming he is the guy, if if Oregon State is to go to anyone besides Kamatz, I think it would be Jaron Hunter. Um, but again, I, I just don't see a reason to go away from a guy who's given you so many good innings, uh, you know, all year. We're talking to Carter Bonds, senior writer, Beaver Blitz, uh, Oregon State playing Auburn today in the Super Regional, 4:30 first pitch. It felt to me that the Saturday night game, the ball carried better at Goss. There was something about, like, there was a couple of balls that were just absolutely hammered in yesterday's game that, you know, ended up as outs at the warning track. Did you feel a difference in the stadium with sort of, the, was it the wind? Was it the was it the humidity? What was going on? Well, it was interesting because the wind was actually blowing out to, to center and to kind of the left center area uh, substantially more yesterday than it did on Saturday. Uh, and yet you didn't see the ball carry as much. Uh, the humidity was down as well. It was a lot cooler. So I think that cool air probably had something to do with it. Um, but obviously, you know, you, you think the ball travels a lot further in, in in dry climates with the wind blowing out, and we just didn't really see that yesterday. So, um, you know, I, I don't know how much of it came down to, to weather conditions, you know, the park factors, or if, uh, if, if hitters were just not getting as good contact off yesterday against a couple of pretty – solid pitchers. Yeah, you had that going on as well. Carter Bonds, our guest from Beaver Blitz. Uh, I like Oregon State's lineup about one through six. There's a drop-off after that. Auburn hits the long ball well. They have all season long, but I love their lineup one to nine. There isn't really an easy out in the lineup. Um, I, How do you expect this game to go, Carter? The first two games, one, one was like uh, a lot of scoring, and second one was a little more settled down. What do you expect today? There's been a pretty decent amount of back and forth this series. Uh, you know, the lead changes haven't necessarily been there, but it, it seems like as soon as one team scores, you know, the next half inning, uh, the other side's coming back with a run or two as well. And so I think the key is, you know, whoever gets on the board first, you know, if, if you can come back and, and, and prevent a momentum change right away, you're going to be in a pretty good spot. Um, but, you know, it's like you mentioned with the lineups, you know, it's, it's two pretty good offenses. Oregon State, even without the consistent production from the bottom third, uh, has had one of the best offenses in school history. Uh, you know, certainly doesn't hurt to have Jacob Milton and Garrett Forrester up there at the, at the top of the lineup. But, um, no, I, I think if, you know, the, the key for Oregon State is to score first and, and to, to lock things down defensively because, you know, this Auburn offense, uh, again, is one of the hottest in the country, and I think – you know, no lead is safe when you're going up against a team like that who's pretty solid one through nine. The Pac-12 tournament, I, I got concerned at the end of it. Like, I love that they played at Carter, but at the end of it, I went, gosh, I wonder if the Pac-12 teams are going to pay for this. I'm watching Stanford a little bit, too, to see, you know, how their arms look. But uh, is Oregon State talking at all about the toll that that tournament took on the pitching staff? No, not at all. I, I mean, I think, you know, I'm with you there at the end of the thing. I was like, did, did we really need to do that? Did the Pac-12 really need to put its arms through, you know, that that level of uh, of exhaustion down there in the, the Sonoran Desert heat. But I think Oregon State's bounced back pretty nicely. The bullpen has, has played well this postseason, um, you know, despite some of the weaknesses that we have seen from it throughout the year. Um, you know, I, I've, I've liked the way that, that they've responded down the stretch here in some pretty big spots. Uh, you know, on the backs of, of their pretty good starting pitchers. 
Um, but you, you mentioned Stanford. You know, Stanford, uh, the, the pitching there in, in game one looked pretty suspect, but I, I think yeah. they've bounced back nicely. They're up 9-3 to three right now in the bottom of five uh, in, in a winner-take-all game. But, um, no, I, I mean, I haven't heard any, any complaints from, from the coaches or, or pitchers about, uh, you know, the way that, that tournament down there in Scottsdale affected them. And, and even if it did, you know, to be honest, for, from this group with the big no-complaining rule that Mitch Cannon has in place, I'm not sure any of us would hear about it anyway. Mitch Cannon, when he was a player, instituted the, hey, if there's going to be a dog pile, there's only one dog pile. It's at the end when you win a championship. And I watched at the end of the regional. They celebrated, but there wasn't a dog pile. What is it about Canham's sort of approach, personality, that you think rubs off on this team? Well, he's about as, as you know, even-keeled and, and calm-headed as they come. Uh, win or lose, you know, anytime he takes a stand at a press conference or, you know, he's talking with us in the media, uh, you get the same thing out of him. You know, he's, he's never too high, he's never too low, and I've seen that really rub off on the players this year. Uh, it takes, for example, the two games that they've lost this postseason it, it, throughout the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, the, the players take the stand at, you know, at the, the podium there at Goss, and you would think that they just won the game with, you know, how, how optimistic they are for the next day, how grateful they are for the opportunity to come back and win the following day. Uh, saw that very much on, on Saturday after that game. Uh, you know, I've had some Beaver fans say, I, I wish this team kind of showed a little more edge after a loss. You know, it looked upset or, you know, looked, you know, like they were you know ready to come out with their hair on fire. Um, but that's just not the DNA of this team. It, you know, every, every coach and every player out there will say, you know, we take things game by game. We don't look too far ahead in the future. Uh, but with this team, I, I truly believe it. I, I don't think in, you know, my four years covering this athletic department that I've seen a team, uh, you know, take such an approach to, to that extent, you know, where it's you know, win or loss, we're coming back tomorrow and, and we're going to play like it's a brand new day. Not Oregon State's best team. I thought, you know, the probably the 2017-2018 teams were were more talented. I think, you know, we saw them in 06, 07. But this, there's something about this team. I think it battles, and in, in you watch the way that they, you know, last night they, they get on the board with some big hits and you go deep, and then they, they create some runs and can manufacture runs. They can play a lot of different ways. Um, this team, how important is it, Carter, in your mind, for this team to break through and get to Omaha now? Um, you know, I don't feel like the program's in any jeopardy of taking a step back, but is there an urgency at all, or what they have coming back for next season or what would not be drafted, do they have a core that could continue and in, in rattle around Omaha for a couple seasons? I do think there's a young core there that's coming back. Uh, you know, some guys that we haven't even seen this year, Tyree Reed was a huge recruit that came in. He's been out all year with injury. Um, some younger pieces like Mason Guerra, who has gotten some run this year, um, but isn't consistently in the starting lineup. I think he's a piece that they can build around and, and quite frankly, Mitch Cannabis recruited very well in the last year or two. And, and so I think there's some talent coming in, uh, you know, assuming it doesn't sign if, if it gets drafted out of high school. Um, but I, I do think that there's a potential here for, for Mitch Cannon to, you know, to build something with very little to no drop-off from the, the, the Pat Casey and Pat Bailey era. Um, but I, I, I do also think that, you know, getting to the College World Series in, in year three under Cannon uh, would be massive for you know, just kind of jump-starting his era here at Oregon State. Um, there were a lot of concerns, I know, throughout Beaver Nation 
you know, Oregon State fans saying, you know, is Canham the guy? Can can we trust him with, you know, the program? He's a young guy. Yes, sure, he's an alumnus, but um, you know, he, he doesn't have all all the experience that uh, that you're losing. Um, and I think he's shown over the last two years after that shortened COVID season that he is the guy for the job. Uh, and I, I think a, a College World Series appearance just a couple years in would, would pretty much silence any doubt that might still be lingering out there. We're talking to Carter Bond, senior writer, Beaver Blitz. The, uh, you know, you mentioned the criticism or the questions about Canem. I was hearing it early in the year. Have those people all quieted? Has this little run done that? Is this enough to, to keep them quiet? Or if they lose today, or do, you, do you hear some whispers into the offseason? I certainly haven't heard it recently. Um, you know, at, at Beaver Blitz, our message board is, is very vocal <laughs> in its opinions, and um, all of all of the doubters and, and questioners have have pretty much silenced as this team has has uh, has rolled along and, and, and picked up so much success. I mean, Oregon State fans are always going to demand perfection, and you know, as as they should with a, a program that has three national championships to its name. Um, I, I think it's just a testament to what Oregon State has built that, you know, the Beavers entered the postseason as the number three national seed, uh, and half the fan base was saying, well, you know, that's not good enough. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's always going to be people demanding more. Um, but for the most part, no, I, I think everybody's pretty much on board with Canham at this point. And, you know, even if, even if Oregon State loses tonight, you know, it, it forces a game three in a super regional in essentially year two of a new head coach, you know, if you throw out that shortened COVID season, uh, that's, that's pretty good by all accounts, you know, to, to avoid a drop off and to show steady progress over the last two years, getting to a regional final last year, advancing the game three of a super this year. Uh, I think you have to like that trajectory no matter what. Carter Bonds, before I cut you loose, uh, I'm not going to ask you to pick a winner, but give me one thing that Oregon State needs to do well in this game to win this game. I think it's got to pitch well innings one through nine. You know, I, I keep talking about this Auburn offense being explosive, um, doing everything you can to limit the amount of runs you need to score to win this game is going to be absolutely huge. You know what else? The Auburn fans are belly aching about the team having to stay in Wilsonville and bus up. They're getting a police escort on I-5. Like, what's the big deal? How how big of a story is that? Well, I think it's, you know, it's it certainly, it, it plays a role in this series. Um, you know, the, the national track championships down in Eugene, graduations at the major universities. Uh, it's very difficult to find places to stay around here. I, I know a lot of people have I've uh, been wringing their hands at you know how difficult it is to find rental cars, hotel rooms, you name it. Um, I, I I really don't know how much the the commute and the late nights getting back to Wilsonville factors into this, but you know it's it's got to be there has to be some sort of factor there, right? I mean, you know, you get back to Wilsonville at two in the morning after after a game or something like that. I mean, I don't know how long they spend in Fort Valley before they bus back up. Um, I could see that wearing on a team, but. Um, I, I know that Auburn, you know, is certainly not going to complain about it. Uh, we, we asked the head coach Butch Thompson after Game One, uh, you know, what's that like? Does it, you know, does it wear on your guys? Does it, you know, are you upset about it? And he said, no, you know, we, we're not going to complain about it. We're not going to make any excuses, and um, I, I certainly don't expect any, anything, you know, to, to come negatively from them today. Carter Bonds, I appreciate you giving us your time. Read him at Beaver Blitz. Follow him on Twitter. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, Carter. Thanks for having me, John. Good stuff there. And, and, you know, look, the Auburn fans are upset. They are even suggesting that Corvallis should not have been a host site 
if they don't have a hotel capable of handling uh, Auburn's team and all the fans who are going to the game. But, you know, quit belly aching. It's just a little bus ride getting those guys ready for life in the minor leagues. I have more thoughts on this. Plus, Bo Nix at quarterback for the Oregon Ducks. I have no doubt he will start the opener and most of the games next season. Will it be enough for Oregon? We'll talk about it next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I started counting up the transfer quarterbacks in the Pac-12 conference over the weekend. And uh, I got out all my fingers. Seven. Seven new transfer quarterbacks that could start in the Pac-12 conference this football season. I would expect seven brand new transfers to start. And I'm talking about USC with Caleb Williams, Oregon with Bo Nix, Washington State's got Cameron Ward. Michael Penix Jr. Uh, bounced from Indiana to Washington. Jaden Delora was was at Washington State. Now he's at Arizona. Jack Plummer, he left Purdue. Oregon State fans will remember Jack Plummer. He beat him in the opener last year, four games into the season, lost his starting job. He is now transferred to Cal. And Emory Jones left Florida for Arizona State. That's seven new transfer quarterbacks in the Pac-12 conference. If you look around, it gets even better. If you uh, examine the quarterbacks that are returning, uh, Cam Rising at Utah, he's returning, but he is also a transfer from Texas two seasons ago. UCLA has Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Stanford has Tanner McKee. Uh, Oregon State will probably start Chance Nolan. He's a junior college transfer from 2019. So nine of the 12 quarterbacks in the conference uh, are transfers, and seven of them are new. Colorado's got Brendan Lewis coming back. He's homegrown. So nine of the 12 are transfers. Seven of the nine are new. I was critical last year of Oregon not developing a quarterback, and and I remain concerned and puzzled, too. Like, you know, you look at the uh, Justin Herbert, Marcus Mariota success, and, you know, you understand or expect maybe in there there's a Vernon Adams somewhere, but you don't expect kind of a revolving door of transfers at Oregon. And I am a little worried that we're going to see Oregon lose a homegrown quarterback that they brought in and they have developed a little bit. And, uh, you know, I kinda, I'm kind of i a little concerned that Oregon's quarterback room is going to end up a little lighter uh, because of Bo Nix coming into the room. Like Ty Thompson, will he jump into the portal the minute Bo Nix is announced as the starter? Where Will Jay Butterfield stay at Oregon? I can tell you there's some other colleges, there's some other programs that are awfully interested in Jay Butterfield. Keep an eye on Nevada. If uh, Jay Butterfield gets impatient, I think Nevada – you know, the coaching staff at Nevada, you got Nate Costa, who was at Oregon on Mario Cristobal's staff. He's now at Nevada. I think that Nevada coaching staff knows Jay Butterfield and thinks he's probably better than Ty Thompson based on some of the stuff that they have told me. So I just kind of wonder if maybe this is just how it's going to be for now with quarterbacks. Like, by and large, we're going to see the bulk of the quarterbacks in Power 5 conferences 
be transfers. I don't have to like it, but it's kind of how where we are. Now, Caleb Williams at USC topped my way-too-early ranking of the Pac-12 transfer quarterbacks. I put this out over the weekend. You can read it at johnconzano.com. But Caleb Williams was number one on my list. Right behind him, I've got Bo Nix. But i got to tell you, when I look at about two through five on my seven transfers as I rank them, numbers two through five are very interchangeable. you got Bo Nix at Oregon. you got Cameron Ward at Washington State. I put third. Michael Penix Jr. at Washington, I put fourth. And Jaden Delora at Arizona, I put fifth. I wouldn't be surprised if Jaden Delora plays lights out and ends up, you know, at the end of the year, all of us going, that guy is maybe the most valuable offensive player in the conference. He played that well at Washington State, but I don't trust it for some reason. I'm looking at what Jaden Delora did at Washington State, and I'm going, how much of that was Nick Rolovich's offense? How much of that was, you know, him playing for a former quarterback and being in an offense where he's comfortable and they just want to throw the ball around the stadium? Like, I don't know. How much of that was Jaden Delora? How much was Washington State? But, you know, Bo Nix, Cameron Ward, Michael Penix Jr., Jaden Delora, in my book, all very interchangeable, all very capable. I could see Bo Nix ending up as the number two quarterback in the conference just because he's experienced, and I think Oregon's going to be pretty good. I could see Cameron Ward ending up in that second spot at the end of the season or maybe even the conference player, offensive player of the year because he's going to be in that air raid offense that they're bringing back at Washington State. And, oh, by the way, he played last year for the coordinator that is going to be calling the plays now at Washington State. So Washington State has some congruency there, bringing in a quarterback and the coordinator at the same time. Wouldn't be surprised either if Michael Penix Jr., who's at Washington, ends up being a star. Kalen DeBoer, the Washington coach, he's coached Penix. He knows him. He knows the offense. He's a bit of a quarterback whisperer as a head coach. We saw some success he had at Fresno State with quarterbacks. And then I mentioned Jaden Delora. He's now with Jed Fish at Arizona. And, you know, Delora could end up being the steal in the transfer room, but I put him fifth because I just I don't trust it as much as the others. Six and seven, I have Jack Plummer at Cal and Emory Jones at Arizona State. Now, Plummer was at Purdue. He's big. He's 6'5". He's a pocket guy. We saw him. He's good but not great. I think he's right for Cal because I think Justin Wilcox is, wants to play sort of a style on defense where he's going to run the ball. He's going to use a pro-style quarterback. He's, you know, Plummer is that. And I think he'll know just what to do with Jack Plummer. I actually think it's a nice fit for Cal. I'm just not expecting Plummer to blow people away like I think Caleb Williams or Bo Nix or Cameron Ward or Penix or Delora can do. And Emory Jones at Arizona State is interesting. I think there's tremendous upside. He was at Florida. He can run the ball a little bit. He had about 750 rushing yards. He's dangerous with his feet. He is erratic throwing the football, though. I think he had something like 19 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. And I just don't think Arizona State is going to be the place that settles him down. Like if he were going to Washington State or Washington I would say Emory Jones has a chance to really be dangerous, could end up as your player of the year. I don't see it at Arizona State. I could be wrong, but I just don't see it. I didn't like his touchdown-to-interception ratio. He had a couple games where he didn't complete 40% of his passes. He, he's dangerous, and I think he'll, be, he'll win some games. He'll win you some games with his feet, but I think he'll lose you some games too. But that's where it stands, and I'm kind of looking at like the landscape of college, major college football we all know the transfer portal is part of the game, and it's going to take a while for, the, for, the, for major college football to figure it out. We know that name, image, likeness is part of the game. 
and there is no putting the genie back in the bottle, so to speak. But I don't have to like this. I don't have to like that I'm going to look up this season and I'm going to see seven of the 12 quarterbacks in the conference are brand new starters, and all seven are transfers, which means that there are seven programs that either didn't develop a quarterback or put somebody, let somebody step in front of the guys they are developing, which is just going to create what? It's going to create Butterfield and Ty Thompson looking at the portal, wondering, should I, should I go? Is this the time to go? It's going to cause the same thing at Washington State and Washington and Arizona and Cal and Arizona State. It's, it's a bad game to be playing. Everybody's playing it. I'm not saying you have to. But I keep looking at the programs now that have returners. Now, Cam Rising transferred from Texas two seasons ago, but Utah's got a guy that, you know, they know who Cam Rising is, and he's coming back. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson was interesting. UCLA, Chip Kelly basically told DTR, you can go if that's what's best for you. Let me know if you're going to stay or go. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson was about to step into the portal, and then he went, well, wait a minute. You don't want me here? And then he decided he's going to stay. It's such a weird dynamic at UCLA, like like Chip Kelly playing Jedi mind games with DTR. And Stanford is interesting because Stanford's got a very talented young quarterback behind Tanner McKee, but he's not quite ready. I'll be interested to see how patient David Shaw can be if McKee isn't playing well out of the gates because Stanford needs to win some games and needs to win some games early because I feel like their schedule towards the end of the season could be really rough, could be another rough year for David Shaw. Uh, We'll talk more about this coming up. Does it bother you in the way that it bothers me? You tell me. Or is this just the way it's going to be? 503-417-7575. What do you think about the transfer game that they're playing at the quarterback position in the Pac-12? Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Worlds of Sport is coming up uh, this weekend. Man, we've been talking about this for a while. I'm excited about this. Hope to see you there. Go to worldsofsport.com if you want information on this. Ducks, Beavers, Blazers, Timbers, Thorns, Winterhawks, Portland State, UP, everybody in one place, plus memorabilia, a beer garden, also an e-gaming center, kick a field goal, make a putt, pickleball, whatever you want to do. If it has to do with sports, we can celebrate it together at Worlds of Sport coming up uh, this weekend. Um, I do have a four-pack of tickets that I'm going to give away uh, this hour, and you can uh, call in to win those. I'll tell you when. Don't do it now. I'll tell you when you can call in to win those tickets, and Sean will uh, will uh, pick the winner. Um it, you know, if you want a four-pack of tickets, let's just do this. If you want a four-pack of tickets, um, we you can call right now at 503-417-7575. And Sean will get uh, uh, the winner's information, name, email address, and we will pop over a four-pack of tickets to you. You want to take your family to Worlds of Sport this weekend? A free four-pack of tickets coming your way uh, to uh, caller. Let's call it caller number three at 503-417-7575. You get a four-pack of tickets. You get to go to Worlds of Sport, and that is courtesy of Dutch Bros. 
So we will uh, get those winners. Sean will get you. And just be, you know, if you need to hold, just hang on. Sean will get to you. But uh, that is, uh, there'll be maybe some other chances to win. But I hope to see you all there this weekend. Um, and uh, you can uh, can do that. Now, Judah Newby, let me ask you a question. I'm talking about the transfer quarterbacks and the conference. Uh, you tell me. Is this a problem or is this just college football? Seven new transfer quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Yeah, I'm excited for it, actually. I think it's a it's a good thing in the sense that some of those transfers got to pick Pac-12 schools, right? I mean, you could say, hey, you know, the Pac-12 is getting the, the second cut from what the SEC is getting rid of, like an Emory Jones from Florida. But, look, they had a coaching change. Dan Mullen out, Billy Napier in. Emory Jones probably doesn't fit Napier. He needs somewhere to go. He lands out here in the Pac-12, similar with uh, with Penix. Uh, I'm fascinated by the guys that transferred to other Pac-12 schools. Like a Jaden Delora showed enough talent to me that he could have played for you know another conference or another program out of uh, out of the footprint if he wanted to, and he ends up down at Arizona. He's the one I'm most curious about because I think Jed Fish is doing a sneaky good job at Arizona, and the offense coordinator there is uh, Pete Carroll's kid, Brendan Carroll. And so I'm yeah. fascinated to see what kind of offense Jaden uh, Delora will be playing in. I'm not so bullish about Penix. I, I, I'm the most skeptical about him, even though you mentioned the, the ties to Kalen DeBoer. And, and Bo Nix, I think, is, is, man, that really raises the floor of Oregon football. But to your point, that is a little concerning. Not concerning, but I think college football was better and more enjoyable when you had homegrown guys year over year over year. I don't necessarily know that that's even practical anymore, though, for the big boys. Yeah, I think I'm torn on it because, look, I think ideally you do develop you develop players at every position, right? You don't have to lean into the portal unless it's a no-brainer, somebody's there who you really love. But my fear is Oregon is going to turn to Bo Nix, who I think should start the opener. I think he's the best they have. I think it was evident in the spring game. Nobody's close. But I also am a little uh, concerned that if they do this Bo Nix thing, which I think they're going to do, do they lose Jay Butterfield? Do they lose Ty Thompson? Does that concern you? Well, not really. It doesn't actually. To me, that's how the sausage gets made. And I understand that. I'm at peace with that. I don't. I don't understand why you have to be worked up about that. If there's three talented quarterbacks, you have to have a hierarchy at some point. And if you're number two or number three, if you're Jay Butterfield, you should go, you know, somewhere else where you can play and maybe get some more NIL. Same thing with Ty Thompson. To me, it's an inevitability and a reality of college football life rather than is something to, to chafe against. It would become concerning if Bo Nix gets hurt and then those two other guys aren't there anymore, you know, a la Herbie gets hurt a few seasons ago in the Willie Taggart season, right. and uh, then you got Braxton. All right, let me, let me just play devil's <laughs> advocate. Then let me play devil's advocate. All right, so if uh, is, it a, is it fool's gold to turn to Bo Nix now, hand him the keys, know that he's going to give you a season or two, and lose Butterfield and Thompson in the wash? Does, that, does it give you any pause? Because traditionally— <laughs> You keep yeah. banging away at this. I don't get it. Why is that? Why is that concerning? It's a reality of college football. I don't understand why that would what what concerning for Dan Lanning? Like it's concerning a, he, for the long picture. Isn't the health of your program tied in part to hey recruiting and developing? I don't think you can accurately analyze the health of a program when there's literally been a coaching change. Like you can analyze that maybe three or four years down the road, but I'm not indicting anything about the Lanning era based on 
the future of his two will end up being. Well, Mario Cristobal did it too. He did it too. Like you know, Anthony Brown was was a uh, deviation from the plan. It made me wonder. I just. I look. I get it. Everyone's doing it, and Utah's even doing it. And by the way, Oregon State's doing it. So really, nine of the twelve teams are doing yeah, you it. You love Kyle Whittingham. He made that coaching or that quarterback change to start yeah. the year last year. Then we ripped on Charlie Brewer for quitting, and look what Cam Rising ended up being. And now all we do is laud Utah football. So is that I'm, a bad process? I don't know if it is. That's what I'm wondering. And I, like, ideally, you would develop Jay Butterfield. You would develop Ty Thompson. You would have those guys ready to play, but I think it's not Dan Lanning's fault that Ty Thompson didn't get reps last year in a game because Oregon turned to Anthony Brown, and it's like I, I almost feel like you have to either say, hey, we're going to develop guys or we're just going to go all in on the transfer thing but because I, I just is, – is Bo Nix that much better than Ty Thompson that you would say, I'm going to mortgage the future – to have this guy right now, he that, might yeah. he might be because the spring game he cer- he certainly looked well, better. And you you wrote as much, you know. You said Nix was head and shoulders above the other way guys. better, and that way Butterfield better. was better than Thompson. Yeah, you I know, think Butterfield was number two. I, I'm more worried about with that, but, but yeah, I mean, landing first year, landing first year, is he playing long game or is he playing stopgap? And Bo Nix, you could argue, is stopgap. Whereas if you're typically a first-year head coach, you could afford to play the long game and, and have Thompson and, and be the guy that you know he's bred year over year. I, I worry, like, here's my worry. Here's the real worry. I think the other coaches that know Jay Butterfield are waiting for Oregon to start Bo Nix and have Butterfield kind of lose, you know, and go, hey, I'm going to get in the portal. I want to play. I feel like I need to play. I'm ready to play. And I don't think he's going to get that chance at Oregon. I think, I actually think I would be less upset with Ty Thompson getting into the portal. I know fans aren't going to like that. But I think I think Butterfield and Knicks give you the best chance this season. I I could I could be talked off that. All right, coming up in the four o'clock hour, we're going to play Punch It Audio. Anna will join us. We'll talk more about the Pac-12. What is it that Oregon State is doing right in baseball and gymnastics that they could they could channel into football and men's basketball? Plus, I took a look at Research Stadium. I was a little surprised at how far along it's coming. I'll tell you more next. B F F T from the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. Here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. You tell me on Twitter, is it bothering you how Oregon and others are turning to the portal? And I don't want to single out Oregon. Nine of 12 Pac-12 teams will start a transfer this season, including Oregon State, with Chance Nolan likely to be the starter. I still ideally want to see these programs not having to turn to the transfer portal every year. But maybe I'm just old-fashioned. I'm out on my front lawn waving my uh, fist at the moon, saying, hey, can't you develop a quarterback anymore? What happened to uh, the old days? We'll play some punch and audio in this segment. Later in the program, John Wilner, San Jose Mercury News, will be joining us. I popped down to Corvallis on Saturday. I drove by Research Stadium. And I was a little surprised at what I saw as they are 
renovating that west side. A little bit surprised. I'll tell you what I mean coming up. Judah, what'd you do this weekend? Give us a peek into the life of Judah Newby. <laughs> it's all it's all daddy duty and use the weekends to clean up the house, you know, get it look good, a little bit of vacuuming. Did go down uh, to Salem to visit a friend on her birthday, so that was good. A little bit of everything, but at the same time, a whole lot of nothing, but cuddling with the little kiddo, nothing better. Do that. You're a good dad. We had a uh, we had a birthday party for the now eight-year-old scheduled uh, over the weekend. She wanted to play miniature golf with her friends. She had 17 friends that were coming to a local outdoor miniature golf course yesterday. Were you outside yesterday? Just during the 30 minutes of sunshine that we got. Yeah, it was dumping rain yeah. and i i gotta be honest i was really proud of anna and myself as parents you find out a lot about yourself as parents in a number of ways one of them is um i think the first time your kid gets in trouble your reaction to that i think another time is just kind of watching your kids seeing who they surround themselves with as friends you can go okay are we doing a good job here like who is my kid that kind of thing but yesterday, we had to call an audible on this birthday party. There's no way in hell we were going to drag 17 kids outside while it was just dumping rain and the <laughs> thunder showers and whatnot. So we ended up down at the Bullwinkles Family Fun Center oh, yeah. for an impromptu birthday party that, uh, you know, included some pizza. It included uh, some uh, some game cards and the kids playing games. But you know you have to have a reservation to have a birthday party at Bullwinkles? Did you know this? I did not know. 72 hours before, Judah. Otherwise, the, uh, they frown upon you setting up a birthday party. Bullwinkle will come yeah. out and, and say, that's, that's not right. Oh, that's I'll tell you word. what happened. Terrible I'll word. tell you, the Italian in me won out. I greased some palms, okay? <laughs> I, before we left, I said to Anna, let me go grab some cash. And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, just let me grab some cash. And I, I don't know what they're paying the workers out there, the kids who work at Bullwinkles, but those kids got a raise yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I greased a couple of palms, and we set up a birthday party, and it went off. It was a smashing success. And the eight-year-old the eight said on the way out, she said, best birthday ever. And I was like, that's a win. High five uh, to Anna, too, because that's not easy to call an audible, call the parents of 17 kids and be like, listen, we are not going to be playing golf outside. We're going to be going in a whole nother direction, we'll go to Bullwinkles and said two hours before the party. That's big time, you know, way to think on your feet. You know, go where uh, life takes you. Omaha! Gre Omaha! Grease some palms along the way. That's <laughs> well done. And I just got to say, I'm pretty sure it was my eighth birthday where my parents had, uh, I think we had a reservation, but we did go to Bullwinkles for my eighth birthday. And it was one of the best birthdays of my life. And I will remember and cherish it forever. So that's kind of funny that her eighth birthday was there, yep. too. It's a great, yep. great spot. She did it. She had a good time. And uh, it, all fun was had by all, so to speak. Did you get on the uh, bumper boats? Do they still do I, that? I, they do that, but I did not. I was uh, I was busy monitoring the kids who were throwing away their money, trying to win a crappy prize at one of those claw games where the claw comes down and oh, never seems yeah. to grab anything. And that's not rigged at all. No. <laughs> It's not, but the six-year-old walks up, swipes her card. First thing, you know, it, the thing comes down, and she gets her prize. Like oh, she, wow. Like she acts like it's no big deal, and then all the other older kids are looking at her like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> it just goes to show you that the game, I think the games are rigged, but uh, it goes to show you that it can be done. Let's play some Punch It Audio. It's the best sound. We got it. 
Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with the Pac-12 Conference. We are just talking about the transfer quarterbacks. UCLA, they don't have a transfer. Dorian Thompson-Robinson was going to transfer. He stayed at UCLA. Josh Pate thinks UCLA is going to be good. Punch it. UCLA, this has got to be such an opportune position for Chip Kelly. They were the number eight team in our transfer portal rankings. Kelly recently signed an extension. They were eight and four last year. Did you know that's their best record since 2018? Did anyone know that? They did it so quietly. And here they are, and they return a quarterback, and they've got uh, guys like Charbonnet, you know, the running back out there. They've got established production guys offensively, hired a new defensive coordinator, uh, Bill Musgrave, or Bill McGovern, by the way. He's got like 100 million years of experience. But also, they sit in the same city as Lincoln Riley. And so they get no spotlight, they will get no attention, and they're just kind of just kind of hovering out there. Utah comes into the Rose Bowl, which is not the most intimidating atmosphere in the world, but they've got a, a schedule that sets up very well for them to maybe pull off some surprises. Their, their win total is eight and a half. So who knows? You know, right now, I think a lot of people know there are high expectations for USC. Did you know that UCLA's expectations almost mirror theirs? for year one under Chip Kelly, or year one under uh, Lincoln Riley. I don't think a lot of people realize that. So, Yeah, look, I, I agree with Pate, by and large. I agree that you're going to see a much improved UCLA team. I'm just not sure, given their schedule, that they can take a full step forward. They kind of flirted around with it last year. I think Chip Kelly's on the verge of breaking through at UCLA, but I don't know. I, I'm not loving UCLA. I just like them. One of the most improved teams in the country? I don't think so. I don't think that they will be one of the most improved teams in the country. But I could see them being second or third in the South, if we're, if we're still keeping a record in the South at that point where they play. I could see them being a top four team in the Pac-12, but not a top two team in the Pac-12. Pete was also asked about Utah. Are they a potential national champion long shot? Punch it. To win the national championship. Okay, so to win the national championship, Utah has the eighth best odds, and there's like a, a five-way tie at eight. Let's talk about their schedule. They open at Florida. That's a road game. They open at, U or they don't open at, they play UCLA on the road. They play Oregon on the road. And they've got USC at home. So their four toughest games, three of them are on the road. This is not an easy schedule. I keep going back to these Pac-12 schedules, especially this year, when you got Utah going to Gainesville to open the season. you got Oregon going to Atlanta against Georgia to open the season. These are not easy schedules. You may not respect the Pac-12. These are not easy schedules. So to call them 12-1 or undefeated is lofty. Yeah, look, uh, I don't think they're a national champion shoe-in. I don't think they're going to make the college football playoff. But Utah is the Pac-12's best shot. USC's not ready. Oregon, first year with Dan Lanning. I expect there might be a hiccup or two. I don't see anybody else in this conference. It's kind of Utah's time. So the question is, can they get through the gauntlet of a nine-game conference schedule? 
Are they ready? I, I, they certainly have the right quarterback. I think they have the right coach. I'm just not optimistic that this is the year that the Pac-12 breaks through, but I think Utah's the best bet. Steph Curry has been playing lights out. Too many days off between games. So what else is to talk about? But let's name an MVP of these finals before the finals is even halfway done. Bill Simmons, punch it. But in basketball, these guys are valuable. Curry has been by far, by far, the best player in the series. And if none of the Celtics step up, I, you know, I'm sure there's a chance Curry could win, even if the Warriors lost the series. Yeah, he could. He's that good. But I don't think the voters are going to do that. And frankly, I think Steph Curry and the Warriors are going to win this series. I think there's too many days off right now between the games, and I think that's what we're running into when you talk about, you know, this discussion that we're getting and the Draymond Green conversation that seems to be lingering on and on. Game 5 will be happening tonight. This series is tied 2-2. Both of these teams, I guess, are technically halfway home. But let's not anoint an MVP just yet. I think this is a product of too much time off between games. Brian Windhorst, though, did talk about Steph Curry. He says he's on the brink of history. Punch it. This is a different finals for Steph and the Warriors. This is not an elite Warriors team. This is probably... I know that the injuries in 2019 happened, but this is the weakest Warriors team that has made it to the finals. They need Steph more than anything. And what's more, it's interesting about this is that the Celtics have elected to let him go. He's probably played since AAU ball, getting swarmed on defense every time he plays in a high-level game. He is getting more space. This is an incredible confluence of a team daring him to beat them and the team needing him so badly. We have Steph Curry in this special moment here. He is 34 years old. He is a multi-time MVP. He is a multi-time NBA champion. He is a first-team All-NBA player. He doesn't have to do anything to set his career right. But yet he has this golden opportunity to carry his team to a title. We are at such a special thing that we're getting to see. And guess what? Steph realizes it. In the first three games, he shot 22 times. He said, I understand now that the Celtics are going to allow me to try to be great. And he did it in game four. And he's going to try to do it three more times. I don't know if he can do it again, but he feels it. And I think we're, I'm very pleased that I'm going to be able to be here and watch this because I think we could be seeing some real history in these next three games. Hey, look, I'm pleased I'm here too, Brian Winhorst. <laughs> I'm, I'm pleased to be watching this as well. I think we're all pleased to be watching what Steph Curry's doing. He changed the game. Generational player, fun player. Changed the way that the game is played. That's fun to watch. It's fun to uh, to think that you know we're all here to see it. Let's just enjoy it. Again, you talk about too many days off between games, too many television sports shows, content getting stretched, stretched, stretched. What's wrong with just going, hey, Steph Curry's been really good through four games of this series. Boston has had some bright players as well, some bright moments as well. I texted with Damon Stoudemire yesterday. I said, man, I am really proud of you and your coaching staff and look at the evolution of the guys that are from our region of the country. Like, this is just really enjoyable. There's no need to manufacture storylines here. The, the lines are there. Boston, Warriors. East, West, connections for all of us. And frankly, 
what Steph Curry is doing is super fun to watch. If you're not even a mainstream NBA fan, you can enjoy it. Phil Mickelson was asked about his former PGA peers losing respect for him. I want you to listen to Phil's reaction here. Phil's a little chippy. Punch it. I have um, I have the utmost respect for the players on PGA Tour. Uh, there have been a lot of friendships that have gone on for decades uh, with Amy and myself. There have been a lot of uh, memories that we shared, experiences that we shared. And there, many of the players on PGA Tour are people that um, I look up to and respect the most. Um, I think that um, I, I think that um, I respect if they disagree. Um, but at this time, this was this is the right decision. Look, he's choosing his words carefully. He knows people have lost respect for him. He knows people are mad at him. He took $200 billion. I'm sure he's going to sleep at night. But, yeah, this is part of the tax that you're paying, Phil Mickelson, on the decision you made. Plain and simple. You got some people in the PGA Tour that are not happy with you because what you're doing is is rocking the PGA Tour, or at least threatening the sponsorship and threatening the tour itself. And so I don't think that the guys that are part of that league necessarily need to be happy with you. It is what it is. That's Punchin' Audio. It's the best sound from all around. I want you to leave it here. You got the bald-faced truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Anna's popped into the studio. She is uh, very proud of the TikTok. Is it a TikTok or a reel that you did this morning? It's a reel. You're very <laughs> proud of this thing. I've never seen you more excited about social media than you were. You. I was looking for you. I was like, where is she? Where did she go? <laughs> Dogs were just looking at me like, I don't know. You were out in the backyard, and you were... Uh, recording a reel for instagram yeah i'm not good at this stuff i don't know how the real influencers do it because it takes a tremendous amount of energy to try and get it right and not look stupid but i i did a <laughs> reel about worlds of sport uh we got new merch and so i was wearing the hat and the shirt you were and all the decked hoodie. out it was all decked you were out. showing it off yeah so to speak and I'm just, I don't know. It's the weirdest thing because obviously I shouldn't have a problem being on camera because I've done it professionally yeah, but for it's so different. long. But it's, it's different. totally different. Yeah. There's like, no no lights. There's no director. There's no producer. Yeah. You there's know. just me trying to decide how silly or stupid yeah. I'm willing to look. By the way, you you get a lot of credit on this show. I gave you some credit last hour. Really? I just gave you credit. Said, what well, you know, oh. you were doing this reel, yeah, right? Thanks. thanks. You get a lot of credit. Yeah. Okay. But, but I'm gonna, but I'm gonna, is there a butt coming? A but, there's, there's a, a butt, butt coming. coming. There's a butt coming. <laughs> I have found that as a photographer, yeah, you're shaky. <laughs> what? What? Are you, 
Are you just making a general statement? I'm, I'm going to just say that, like, if you and I are in, like, let's just say we're in the Columbia River Gorge. Yeah. And a scenic, picturesque yeah. location. And we're going to take a photo, you know, hey, take a photo of me and one of the girls by uh -huh. Multnomah Falls. Yeah. It's about 50-50 that <laughs> you're going to get a photo that is passable. Did the reel that I shoot inspire oh, no, 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 you no. to just say that? The reel was great. Oh, but it okay. just it just reminded me, you know, it's really funny. I think it's really interesting. Like, you get a lot of credit. Remember the show Once Upon a Time? I said, you know, Anna's only weakness is, and I said that one thing, yeah, and then yeah. you got mad at me, and mm -hmm. the weakness was your cooking. Yeah. And you got mad. Deeply personal. And then what did you do? <laughs> you made it your mission to become a better yeah. cook. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 you do everything else. Maybe you should just insult me every day about something, and but, then magically things will improve. But it's it, it would almost be <laughs> You're like... You're a terrible housekeeper. No, but like... <laughs> Jackie Robinson, you know, was great. Yeah. The Hall of Famer. Uh-huh. Okay? Yeah. Ja he's Jackie Robinson. Sure. But he couldn't pitch. Yeah. I didn't see Jackie moping around going, you know what? <laughs> but I can't pitch. It's okay. You could be a Hall of Famer. Uh, yeah. You are a Hall of Famer. Mm. But I've noticed, like, if you're taking a photo. Yeah, I'm terrible. Don't ever ask me to. Well, like, yeah, you agree. You know how you're in a public place, like, you'll be at Multnomah Falls or something, <sighs> and, like, there will be a family, like, hey, can you take a photo for me? I automatically hand the photo to you in a circumstance like yeah, that. You because give me the phone. If they want to capture something that is actually has everybody's heads in it and uh, yeah, is good. framed properly, I'm, I'm not the one to go to in this I'm situation. always thinking about the framing. Yeah. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm not tooting my own horn here. I'm just saying. Like, no, yeah. No. You did. Uh, you were very proud of this Instagram. You, people want to see it. What's your Instagram <laughs> handle? I don't even know. My first and last name, Anna Gonzano. There you go. Check <laughs> out Anna's Instagram. Uh, I drove by Reeser Stadium on Saturday. Yeah. I wanted to see what was going on with the football stadium. How How is it? Is it weird still? I mean, because it's so weird to drive by. We drove by a few months ago, and it was like, God, it's so strange. The half the stadium see. was gone. Yeah, I know. They blew it up. Yeah. <laughs> so we saw the rubble, which is a great word, yeah. rubble. Uh, so how does it look now? Rubble is one of those words that kind of is what it sounds, sounds like, like. Yeah, sounds yeah. like what it is. Rubble. Rubble. Lip balm is the same way to me. To me. Lollipop. When I say, when I say lip balm, uh -huh. it just kind of feels as it rolls off my tongue like yeah. like it that's right that's mm -hmm. what it is like cough lip balm yeah cough there you go uh anyway <laughs> play this, all day. this is this is a, a peek into our life here <laughs> fascinating i know okay but i go i drive by research stadium uh, yeah and i was blown away at how fast they're constructing this thing really the pillars were up okay there was a lot of i don't even know what it is you know, I want to call them like girders. Yeah. Which is sounds like garters, but it's yeah. not. Nobody be throwing these big steel beams at weddings. Eye beams. You know, yeah, they were going across. H beams. <laughs> it looked like like you could feel like the shape of the stadium taking place. That's exciting. And it made me because originally my concern about this whole project was going to be about next season, especially yeah. for Oregon State. Mm -hmm. They were very good at home last year. They were six and zero at home. And Six and zero, they were undefeated at wow. home. They beat Utah at home, um, and I I worried that they're going to lose a season where they have no atmosphere in the stadium. They have twenty six thousand four hundred and seven seats that okay. they can fill. 
Okay. They're all on both end zones, north and south end zone, and the east side of the stadium, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's like a C that they have, the yeah. letter C, around the field. Now, Jonathan Smith came on this show, and I asked him, Did you, have you thought about switching sidelines? Mm-hmm. And he said he thought about it. He thought about putting the opposing team over where the fans are to make them kind of feel it. But yeah. there is a rule in the Pac-12 conference. You cannot have a student section right behind the visiting team. Oh, yeah. That's just inviting trouble. The, the students, they start to say things. Yeah. Then they get over that, and they start to throw things. And then, you know, mm-hmm. it's just problematic. So there's a rule about that. Forgive me. Teams uh, in football, they stay on that side. They don't, like, switch sides. They stay on whatever side they start What's with. What's your hunch on the that? Game, right? What's your hunch? Do you think that they move all the equipment that they put before the game over to the other side and ha- hey, that's, what, that's what halftime's for? There's <laughs> Give me a break. Like soccer switches direction, so I Yeah, basketball they switch directions. Yeah. They don't they change don't... benches. Okay. They don't say like get our Gatorade hey, thing and let's move down to the no other side. There's no such thing as a dumb question, John. <laughs> Just, Jeez. just asking. Okay, so they, so they're gonna. Oh. So I want to ask Jonathan States. Smith that. Do you think that my wife thinks you guys should switch sidelines at <laughs> halftime, and just see, like, see if he thinks it's a dumb question? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> if our kindergartner can switch goals at halftime, that's in her directions. Game. They change directions. Yes. Yeah. You know, okay. the quarter will end, and they switch directions. <laughs> it's to balance things out in yeah. case there's a wind advantage or. You know, one of the goalposts is a little narrower than the other. Like, okay, you know. but the point that you were making <laughs> is that, that Oregon State, the team, will have its fans behind them rooting them on. Yes. And the opposing side will have no one behind no them. No one behind them. Spooky. It'll be silent over there, and they'll be looking across at the sea of hostility at the other sideline. And uh-huh. I kind of wonder psychologically. Now, maybe I'm getting geeky out on this too much. Psychologically, do you think that will play a role at all next season? Hmm. Judah, do you think it will play a role at all? I don't think so. You know, the Beavs, as much as I want to say that they play off their home crowd, um, I'll believe it when I see it and, and when I feel it. I think they'll be fine. I think Jonathan Smith is process-oriented, and the guys are going to bring the same energy that they normally but would. But does it, does it play a role for the other team? Like, let's say, you know, uh, I don't want to use Oregon because it's a bad example because there might be some Oregon fans in the stadium. But, you know, let's just say USC is coming to Corvallis on September 24th. Will the USC players, with no one behind them, concrete in a construction project behind them, staring across the field at Oregon State and 26,407 fans, will that factor at all in kind of the atmosphere or maybe how USC psychologically feels being in Corvallis? Like, I don't know. Like, I, there's I part of me that wants to yeah. say that will be a factor. In terms of, like, they might be a little bit more flat, right? Because yeah. they can't buy into the full atmosphere and... uh you know, they're used to full stadiums, especially, you know, I don't know how many people are coming out to USC football these days, but maybe this year, a lot more than 26,000. We'll yeah. see. The jury's still out on that one. Right. But yeah, I, I can see where you're going with that, because even if, you know, they're they're hyped up, Beaver Nation's hyped up, and where do, uh, how do the tickets get allocated for the visiting fans, you know, at that point? Yeah, it, it's contractual. So here's, this is interesting too. So Boise State is the home opener for Oregon State. Oregon State had to commit, I think it was 3,000 tickets to Boise State as part of the deal. 
And what it caused in week one was Oregon State has student tickets, but, but students won't be on school uh, campus for week one, so it kind of saved them a little bit. But they have season tickets, and then they have to give 3,000 tickets to Boise State. I was told there's not a lot of tickets left over. Like, it's going to create a real demand at Oregon State because I think their season ticket base is somewhere between fifteen and 18,000. So they don't have very many walk-up tickets left over, and they're giving 3,000 to Boise State. And there's a whole bunch of student tickets. Like, if students were on school for week one, I don't think Oregon State could accommodate the 3,000 tickets to Boise State. I think they would be well beyond sold out. I looked at the ticket availability late in the year. The game I looked at was, I believe it was November 12th. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oregon State is hosting Cal. There's almost no tickets available for that game. They've got, you know, five here, eight there, four here. It's going to be a sellout. They're going to sell out every game. That's family weekend, too. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. family weekend. And But they're going to sell out every game, 26,000. They're going to handle that. Yeah, selling yep. out. Hmm. So I just kind of wonder, like, you know, remember when USC came to Oregon State on what was like a Thursday or Friday night game several years ago and it was all foggy? You guys remember that? I think they played a couple of fog games there, but, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I, think, uh, I think I remember that, yeah. The USC players complained that the dreary late start, the fog – there was lack of a crowd at all the, at that time because the weather was bad and Oregon State wasn't very good. The USC players after the game complained that they emotionally had a hard time getting up for the game because it was just kind of flat inside mm. the stadium. And so I just kind of wonder, does this become somehow an advantage for somebody? Yeah. You know, I don't know. I would say that, and I'm curious, does this make Reezer Stadium a better television product because of the uh... – novelty of panning to the road sideline and seeing no fans and maybe it could be a segment you know go down to the sideline reporter and you turn around and it's the dutch bros and not a a grandstand you know it'd be kind of funny but at the same time you know the better side of me is thinking every beaver game this year at least is going to be on the pac-12 network and if it's not on the pac-12 network it's going to start at 7 30 or later because what tv network wants to do a game from reezer this year that's going to be just a weird probably not so logistically friendly experience for a production crew yeah, and I think they have some that are, that they are bound to not be on the Pac-12 network all the time. But I, I, I actually think too that they're they're going to be a top half of the conference team. So I mm. I think TV's got to pay attention well, to yeah. them. And, and you know, and and look, this that that September 24th game for USC, it could be because I foresee some issues for Lincoln Riley. Like everybody's, you know, I'm hearing the national guys talk. Oh, 11 wins, 10 wins, 12 wins. They could be in the playoff. Whatever. I don't find that, and I think. Early for USC, that game at Oregon State could be tricky for USC. Are that your could, students that could back be by one. then? No. Oh, I don't know if the they 24? are. Yeah, I think they are. They are by then, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think you guys would know. That's why I'm mad. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, man. I don't even know where my kid is right now. But, uh, yeah. She's alive. I text her, you okay? You okay? You good? All right. We're good. Maybe one of the strategies should be that the really heavy construction, including jackhammers, should take place on that visiting side, you know, <laughs> yeah. to commence right around kickoff. Right, only when USC has the ball. Just yeah. the <laughs> most grating, <laughs> annoying, like almost like, uh, you know, like torturing a prisoner illegally, how they do that with the audio. We yeah. should just do that on the uh, visiting sidelines. How about they do, the, you know, they make USC go into the locker room and they do the jackhammers around there. I, I like already. <laughs> they make them walk across the street. See, they have the visiting, oh, the visiting, really? t- the visiting team dresses at Gill Coliseum. 
and then walks across the street mm-hmm. <laughs> to Reeser Stadium. That's yeah. interesting. They, Down the ramp. Duck, oh. duck players would always say the cow walk was always one of the more difficult walks, too, down there at... Uh, at Berkeley, it's yeah. like they, have, they make you walk a mile to get from your visiting locker room <laughs> to the stadium. What they should do is they should put the visiting team in Albany. <laughs> you know, War Eagle. I should slap about, the desk. With about five this. minutes to go in the first half, <laughs> Lincoln Riley's got to go, we got to get going. Make a turn from Wilsonville. It's ridiculous. Will, we'll keep our offense on the field. Everybody else, start walking. <laughs> and then when they get to the Albany exit, they all go, hey, Keep doing what we did in the first half. <laughs> All right, back back to Corvallis. <laughs> Want you to leave it here. You got the BFD. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on seven fifty. The game. I always say membership has its privileges. Well, because you're a listener to this show you get some opportunities. And because you're here all the time, you get some opportunities. I have another four-pack of tickets for Worlds of Sport. You want to take your family and see the premier sports uh, expo in the region, something unlike anything else that goes on. I've seen the floor plan. I looked at it today. Timbers, beavers, ducks, blazers, winterhawks, hops, Portland State, uh, UP, uh, you know, Columbia, Dutch Bros, uh, all sorts of fun. Portland gear, all sorts of activation, all sorts of fun. It's going on at the Oregon Convention Center this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Sunday, sports memorabilia, gaming. You can go to worldsofsport.com if you want to get tickets. You don't have to stand in line at the convention center. And, by the way, you can... Uh, Go see all that fun stuff and stop by the stage where I will be, along with some name, image, likeness, NIL participants from Oregon and Oregon State. They'll be speaking. Former NFL players will be there. Morgan Weaver of the Thorns will be there on Saturday doing a meet and greet Saturday afternoon. A whole bunch of fun. You can get real close to the brands and the teams and the athletes that you love and celebrate Bring a sports fan worldsofsport.com. I have a four-pack of tickets, 503-417-7575. We'll go to caller number two. If you want to call in and get those tickets, grab them. Sean will get your information, and uh, we will send you to the event uh, courtesy of Dutch Bros. World of Sports, worldsofsport.com. It's worlds, plural. Right, Anna? Come find your world. Worldsofsport.com. Uh, we'll go to caller number two as you call in. Um, hey, uh, I want to think back to your childhood, Anna. You you have talked about softball being kind of a big deal. Oh yeah. In as you grew up, right? Yeah. So you grew up. You had softball in your life. By the way, if you call in and you get put on hold, just stay on hold. It probably means you're a winner. I always have people who call in, they get put on hold, and they hang up. And I'm like, no, you were so close. But, yeah, if you want to grab those tickets, 503-417-7575, jump on it. And you, and just know, sometimes it's calling one or two times. Like, you know, I haven't called into my own show. But I'm told from people that, like, sometimes people win because they're persistent. So just do that. Um, you, you talk about softball being a formative experience for you growing up. I grew up in a baseball family. My dad was a professional baseball player, and then, you know, we did a whole bunch of this, right? Yeah. So what was it about 
that experience for you as a softball player that made it a formative experience? Oh, man. Uh, just learning to be part of a team, learning to fail, but to continue trying after you fail. Because, you know, as anybody who has played or even just watched those sports knows, softball and baseball are so much about failure. You're failing most of the time. And so to have that resi resilience, to keep trying, mm -hmm. to keep trying to improve, I mean, my stepdad, Fred, would take me to the batting cages off of, gosh, I think it was Stark. Um, and he he would just work on my hitting because I wasn't really the greatest hitter. Um, I was decent at fielding. but And then it was just kind of, it was the whole deal because it was being part of a team. It was having the consistency of going to practice, having games on the weekends, going to the snack shack um, and the pizza party at the end of the year at Farrell's, you know, or the ice cream party. Farrell's. Farrell's, they had those hats, right? Yeah. They and did you, hats. were you under Farrell's. the illusion? Is this, I, I, I vaguely remember you telling me this, like when we first started dating, you thought Farrell's was just like a neighborhood place. Oh, didn't everybody? <laughs> everybody thought Farrell's was just like <laughs> the local ice cream joint. And it threw me for such a loop when I went to some other city in some other state and saw a Farrell's and realized, oh, that wasn't just like a Park Rose thing. So there's some kid probably walking around going, I got this great neighborhood place called Applebee's. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, you, you got to see my hometown. Yeah. My parents did that. They went to spring training. Okay. Yeah. A few years ago, my mm -hmm. dad and mom went down to Arizona to watch spring training baseball. Yeah. My dad said they got this great place called Claim Jumper down no. there. No. Yeah. He was yeah. serious. Yeah. And he was serious. I didn't have the heart <laughs> to tell him. I was like, no, dad. National no. Shame. It's not a national. <laughs> it's not a local place. Claim Jumper. Oh, it was great. Uh, it was a great claim jumper. Yeah. So, so you great. so you yeah. went to Farrell's? No, yeah, it was round table. It was like it would vary between round table for the end of the year party. Sometimes yeah. it was Pietro's, sometimes it was Farrell's, but it was just so fun. And I look back now, like I've you know, I reached out to former coaches that I had that were really just dads of, you know, yeah. teammates. And I've thanked them because I realized the time and energy that it takes to coach, to line up the practices, coordinate parents and all that. And uh, I've expressed my appreciation to them for that, that. That's nice of you. I wish I, I should do that more often. I We were driving today and we drove past a round table pizza. Yeah. And I chuckled to myself. I didn't say anything to you. But I remembered as a kid, that was a big deal to go to pizza after a game. Yeah. But I think the coaches got it wrong. We only went to pizza if we won. You know what I mean? <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. They would go, if you win, we're going to pizza. <laughs> so we were like in the coal mine. Like it was like, <laughs> you know, we got to get that run across or we don't eat tonight, guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's pretty good. Yeah. No. Motivation. I actually tactic. think the better approach would have been if I'm proud of the way you guys competed. Mm. I'm not saying I'm not saying give away a like a you know, participation trophy. Yeah. But I'm saying sometimes you play your ass off and you lose. Sure. And you, it's never say die and it's just a great game and yeah. you lose. Yeah. But I, I still would look and go, hey, I'm really proud of the way I played and my teammates played today and we lost the game. But, man, we, of course we don't like to lose. Mm -hmm. But I, I think sometimes, too, you win. You can win ugly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think putting it on the win was probably not the best thing.
That's kind of, I mean, that's kind of a philosophy for raising kids overall, right? Yeah. Because I don't want to, I don't want our kids to measure themselves by only their successes. Yeah. Like, I think we talk about that a lot. We want our kids to measure themselves by the amount of effort they're putting in, how kind well, they are to each yeah. other, you know? Well, I read these books. Were they a good teammate? I read all these books about parenting, okay? I got all these books I, when I knew I had daughters. There's a bunch of books written for dads and daughters, yeah. okay? Some of them are no good. A couple <laughs> of them are good. But by and large, the message I got was, you don't tell them, hey, you look beautiful, Tell them, hey, I'm proud of like how hardworking you are, or I like the way you competed, mm-hmm. and you want to reinforce kind of the process and not the result. Yeah, and also you don't want to make it about their appearance. Right. Am I getting that right? Mostly, yeah. Okay, so here's what I think the coach should have done: instead of saying we're going to pizza if we win the game, he should have said we're going to go to pizza if I'm proud of the way you guys competed. If we win the game, you get toppings. If we lose, you get cheese. <laughs> Huh? Huh? Okay. We're playing for pepperoni, guys. <laughs> playing for some olives and some sausage over here. You want to see me break up a double play? You you dangle some pepperoni in front of an Italian kid. Okay. I, I actually have never heard of coaches saying we only get a pizza party if you guys Judah? win. Judah, did you ever have that happen? Did they do that in McMinnville, Judah? Um, There were what? some interesting incentives in McMinnville. Now I'm just going through <laughs> my Rolodex and my the head map. of... What in McMinnville was McMinnville specific and what was a nationwide chain? I had no idea. In McMinnville, what did you get? You guys oh, had a walk home? Alps. You guys didn't win the game? Alfs was the place. Alfs? Just off Linfield College campus. Alfs. That's okay. the place. And I'm I'm like 99% sure it's not a chain. And uh, I, I will actually cry if it is a nationwide we chain. We won't tell you. Yeah. We won't tell that you. That and Arctic Circle. But Arctic Circle, I think, is a chain. Yeah. We like to go in there. But We uh, used well, to have this place. really cool place called Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> it was very specific to my neighborhood growing Wait, up. It even man. said my neighborhood Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Hold on there, Judah. <laughs> Did your coaches only offer that excursion if, if you won. You won. Uh, that's right. So JC's on to something here. If we lost, we were still going to Alf's because, you know, come on, it's summertime baseball. Okay. If we won, though, we could go to Alf's and interact with the live monkeys that dance around in their cage. What? I'm yeah. sorry. What? What? Absolutely. You I need a buried timeout. the yeah. lead on Can this. I get a 20 here? Oh, this yeah. isn't, I get a timeout. This yeah. isn't still happening. Wait, there's a monkey oh, at this be. place? There's uh, There are multiple monkeys, and they wear diapers, and they are this? behind... No. Um, there's kind Googling. of like behind the kind of like you know me looking at Sean and trust me that's as far as the parallel goes between our studios <laughs> and Alf's. Sean, Sean got a diaper on. Sean is not a monkey. <laughs> Sorry about that. And he does not have a diaper on. But there is a there is glass. At least I can't see his legs, but I don't think he has a diaper on. What a phenomenal and, wait. Yeah, exactly. So is this just like somebody had some monkeys and went, hey, I should open a pizza place, or what happened with that? <laughs> it's a burger joint. Burgers and ice cream. Yeah. This can't possibly still be happening. Is that legal? So, <laughs> to that end, I'm not sure it is still going on. And now I'm uh, retracing it my I can, I can definitely tell you this is not a national Someone chain. Someone from okay. McMinnville needs to call <laughs> and let me know if Alf still has the monkeys, you know, behind the plexiglass. 503-417-7575. We should just have Sean call Alf. Yeah, RoadsideAmerica.com says the, the monkey hangs at one monkey hangs out at Alf's, which is a fast food drive-in built back in the 1950s. Oh, my goodness. When Terry Rickard bought the place in 80s. 
1989. It was mainly known for its milkshakes and charburgers. There were still monkeys no. there when I got Any there. place that has monkeys is not known for milkshakes and charburgers. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's a PR job right there. <laughs> what? Oh, wow. That's like the zoo going, you know, we got great elephant ears. No, you got elephants. Come on. So needless to say, I was really good in Little League because I love playing with those monkeys. I mean, you got on a first name basis. Yeah, with the monkeys. Yep. Can we did just you guys, pull that audio? Did you guys to say he likes to play with monkeys? I can see your coach. You're in the box. <laughs> Runners in second and third. And he's like, "You want to see the monkeys or not, Judah? <laughs> it's a run here. Break this game wide open." Balls in the outfield. Everyone's like, "Monkeys!" <laughs> Six thousand people have checked into Alf's on Facebook. In its history. It's a low number. Still trying to figure <laughs> out if the monkey's still there. What in the world? That's a fascinating story. I and I'm know. glad we got to the bottom of that. Leave it here. You got the bald face truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I got this wild idea. I came up with this wild idea the other day, Judah. Can I bounce it off you? Please. Tell me if this is a good idea or a bad idea. That's what we do in our household. I'll say to the girls, I'll say, good idea or bad idea? And I'll just throw out an idea. They generally go, bad idea. Okay, here it goes. Good idea or bad idea? You know how one of the things that happened in the pandemic is this radio show became kind of like, you know, back in the day we used to do a remote broadcast. We would have an engineer. We'd go out to a remote location and, you know, it would be a big production to set up and do the show. But with technology now and more people working at home or whatnot, like we found out pretty quickly, like you can get used to doing a remote broadcast and you can create it almost to the point where like, you know, now that I'm doing this broadcast from the home studio, um, I could do it from anywhere, right? I could just pick up and go anywhere. So I told Hannah the other day, I said, you know what I would love to do sometime in the summer as just an idea is just take the show on the road in a way that was very informal. Literally travel through small towns in Oregon, go from city to city, find a restaurant, find a bit, some small business in each city and just go, hey, I want to do the show from your location today and set up and do the show wherever. Anna, during the break, said, you should do your idea. You should go to McMinnville as the first stop and go to that monkey joint <laughs> and go do the show from there. <laughs> Good idea or bad idea to barnstorm with this radio show across the state of Oregon? The best idea I've ever heard, frankly. <laughs> I Honestly... Where are the problems in this? Let's just discuss this. There's no problems except for lack of willpower. That's the, that's yeah. the only thing. I, I, we shouldn't let anything get in our way. I would pay big money to see you in a cage of monkeys doing the radio show. That would be the first stop. We go to McMenville. <laughs> yeah. And we're, we're, what's this business called? Alps. Alps. They're not going to mind. They're going to love the publicity. Oh, People all over the state talking about them. Yeah, they're you're, gonna big, get a... you're big there. You're big yeah. enough. But that's what we could get ideas from people because everybody had that place, right, where they went for their end of season celebration in whatever town where you grew up. Like yeah. what's the place in your yeah. town? Everybody could – we could solicit like people in Klamath Falls, people in Roseburg and Eugene and, and Woodburn and whatnot. We go, hey, where do you want the show to be? 
and people call in and go, you need to be at, you know, the place with the monkeys in my town, you know, <laughs> and, and, and the show just goes there. And like, I'm in a car and driving all over the state of Oregon in the summer. I'm bailing hay and Hepner, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm in McMinnville with the monkeys. We're in Woodburn. Hey, we're at the outlet malls in Woodburn. Like, you know, oh, and just outlet malls. That's tame. Take the, take the show on the road is what I'm saying. Logistically, I think the engineers might raise some eyebrows, but I think we can pull it off. Of course, we've discussed this with no one who actually no. matters. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. On the road we go. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Whatever town you're in, whatever city you're in, whatever county you live in, I want you to start thinking about where you want this radio show to broadcast from. I'm eyeballing this summer. I got a lot to do this summer, okay? A lot of things on the to-do list this summer, and one of them is to get to your town. Take the show on the road, so to speak. I want to get down to Eugene and do a radio show. Be in Corvallis this summer. Do a radio show. I want to be. I want to get get out to McMinnville. I want to go out to Eastern Oregon. I want to get down to Eagle Point or Medford or Ashland. Do a show from down there. This is a great idea. This, you know, I, I don't even think I need to ask. I just go. What are they gonna do? How would they know? You know, I'm in Peoria. We could just keep going. We don't have Peoria. to stop it. We don't have to stop in Oregon. Just keep going. You already did Pacific City, didn't you? Yes. Checked it. Let me check. Let me get my box out. Yeah. Check that box. We can just say we're we're knocking down. We're gonna do a show from. I, I guess we should list the city. I don't even care about population. If there's one listener in that area, I'll go do a show there. That's how important the listeners are to me. You got one listener. <laughs> What's the smallest town in Oregon? <laughs> you know? Maybe uh, Kellen Clemens and you could do a show from Burns. I'll go to Burns. Buck some hay. I just <laughs> know, I want to know where all the places are that have really good burgers and oh. JoJo's. Like, that's my litmus test for a great small town. Do you have good, somewhere yeah. with good JoJo's? I want you, wherever you are, yeah, you, listening to this show, as I talk about barnstorming with this radio show, whatever city you're in or a city I need to go visit, you tell me what that city is and why I should come there. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. I'm taking requests. <laughs> Not for songs, but taking requests for where this show should be in your town. Steven Eugene at Fox Sports Eugene. I haven't even looked at my phone. I guarantee you he's texted me going, you got to come to Eugene and do a show because Steve's all fired up. I'm ready to do it. We'll make a list, and we'll get to all those cities. We're taking requests right now on the hotline. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're going to do the five at five. And then I want to know about some of these cities that I'm going to go see. I think it would be really fun. I want to know about the dive joints that we need to. And, you know, visit. we got the idea. You know what it was? We we were in a restaurant. Yeah. And we got the idea, and we went, you know what? 
I think it would be a good idea. And then I asked the guy who owned the restaurant. He happened to be there. I said, hey, it's a wild idea. But I said, if I just showed up one day and I said to you, hey, I want to do my show from here. I didn't even finish the sentence. And he was like, that's great. <laughs> and I was like, all we need to know is that you have a fast enough, dedicated line. Yeah. That's the one requirement. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have internet in your city, you're out. <laughs> okay? But if you have internet... I can come do a show from there. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, like the listeners don't know this, I've done this show from a variety of places Yeah, where I've gone in the doors. Like you know, Anna, you've been there. I we know. go, We go in the doors and I go, we're checking into a hotel or whatever, and I say, hey, I need to talk to your engineer. And they look at me like I'm nuts. And I go, <laughs> I just need to know what your internet speed is in the rooms. Can I do the show in the rooms? And then if not, is there a room somewhere I can do it from? Or is there a nearby business that has a fast enough speed? You've done this show from lots of places. Milwaukee Lumber, the yep. Wooden Chicken Pub. I was at the Wooden Chicken. On Sandy Boulevard. I did this show from Vegas at T-Mobile Arena. Yeah. I did this show from, uh, I did it from Salt Lake City at, at, at the Marriott in Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. I did this show, you know, come on. Uh, yeah. Denver, we did uh, for the Nuggets series, That's I right. remember. Uh, yeah. And you've done a show from Reezer, I believe, as well. Reezer, yep, did that. Uh, let's You're like it. the Flat Stanley of Oregon. Let's, let's take some calls, <laughs> and then we'll do the five at kind of five-ish coming up. Mike's in Portland. Mike, where should we do this show from? John, if you do it from McMinnville, I think you have to wear a diaper also. <laughs> no, no dice. Uh, have, are, where, where do you want us to go, though? Oh, that was my only comment. <laughs> <laughs> you got, you, totally you got, got nothing. All right. All right. I, I'm not going to do the show with a diaper on. I draw. I have some dignity, okay? And just to be clear, not all of us wear diapers from McMinnville. <laughs> but the monkeys in McMinnville just do wear the diapers. Monkeys. The monkeys in McMinnville, yeah, it sounds like something you type on the keyboard or something. That's uh, got to be a health Lazy department. dog. What's the name of that place in McMinnville that I'm doing the show from? What's Alf's. it called? Alf's. Alf's. Sorry. All right. I'm writing these down. How many times do we have to say I'm writing this down. Jeez. Well, I'm focused on the monkeys. Forgive me. <laughs> Forgive me for that. Joe's in Beaverton. Got a line open at 503-417-7575. Joe, where am I doing the show from? Pendleton, Oregon, during the roundup in September. Whew. Pendleton, roundup. I don't know if I can be there in September, though, because if it's college football season, you know. Eh, I could swing over midweek. Where in Pendleton is the place <laughs> to go? Like, what's the best location Restaurant Do you have wise. a spot for us? And are there yes, JoJo's? Of course, of course, yes. Uh, you got to go to the Rainbow on Main Street because that is uh, a mainstay in Pendleton, has been for like 60 years or more. Okay. Um, and then go to the Letterbuck Room in the Roundup Grounds. And then go to the convention center during the concerts and then go to the back room <laughs> where you can buy drink tokens. And yeah. then gamble the night away, and those drink tokens are only, you can only buy beer with them. Good That's Lord, what? you're giving me this a, is a whole itinerary. Like, Joe, I feel like I'm married to you. <laughs> what else? Do I, I need to mow the lawn, take the trash out? What else? No, no. no, no those, those are the three spots you got to hit if you're going to. All right. Play. Appreciate you, Joe, and Beaverton. I uh, love the penalty. I thought Joe it. was going to be like, come to Beaverton. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a. You uh, must hail from Pendleton. You know, there's a, uh, you know, a chicken place in Beaverton, <laughs> you know, that you want to go to. Uh, you know, I thought I was going to get one of those. Yeah. And instead, I'm in Pendleton. I'm in the back room getting drink tokens. Flat twist. <laughs> out loud. It's 
very involved. I love that our listeners are thinking. Yeah. You know, where is that place? Where is the place in, like, Sayo? You know? Sayo. I barely <laughs> learned that that was Sayo. You know the two? Sayo got me? Marmot. And then the other one that got me was, uh, you know, when you drive. Uh, when oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Shampooey. Shampooey, yeah. If nobody yeah. tells you that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> That's a, really that's a mouthful it. of mob that's a mouthful of marbles. You know what I mean? There's a lot of great towns like that yeah. in Oregon that you're really hard like, to pronounce. Like, well, that's you, for me. Yeah, that's yeah. Washington. Oh no, that's Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean hell, Aloha is tough enough. Yeah. When you get here. Like yeah. I guarantee you, we could put a list of some of the names in the, in the cities in the state of Oregon. Right. And you know, Keith who's the uh, operations guy now, you know, who is He's he's kind of the new guy. He's been here a few months. Yeah. But you could put a list of those n names of those cities in front of him, mm -hmm. and we would just all fall over laughing because <laughs> it's not his fault. Nobody tells you how to pronounce the damn names. You have to do an aloha once before somebody goes, no, it's aloha. You know? <laughs> in TV news, sometimes you'd come across a town, you'd be like, I have no idea how to say that, but i got to say it on air. You know, and yeah. sound authentic. So I'd call the city hall or the town or just a restaurant that, in that town. How do you say your town's name? <laughs> I'd find out how to say the town's name because I didn't want to mispronounce it. When I was a kid, we had no iPhones, okay? Mm -hmm. Just so you know this. It was, hor it was horrific. Yeah, how did you survive? Well, I was a teenager. I was old enough to drive. I know this. But I we did not have cell phones yet. Yeah. So we, I grew up in Gilroy, the garlic capital of the world. It's on this side of the mountains, the Santa Cruz Mountains, away from the coast. Mm -hmm. So you're on the wrong side of the mountains, yeah. okay? You're on the dry side, not the coastal side. Mm -hmm. So you've got to drive through the Santa Cruz Mountains to get over to Santa Cruz and the beach. Mm -hmm. So often, it was like the Oregon coast. The weather, you, you just didn't know. Yeah. Like, you couldn't tell. Yeah. And we had no iPhone, okay? You couldn't go on your weather app you, and be like, oh, that point. Yeah. it's sunny today. So you know what, I, what we used to do? Uh-huh. We used to call the 7-Eleven that was over in Santa Cruz. Yeah. And we'd say, hey. And they'd answer the phone, 7-Eleven. And I'd say, what's the weather like? And they'd go, eh, it looks sunny today, or maybe it's a little overcast, but it looks like it's going to burn through. <laughs> okay, thanks. And then we'd hang up. Uh-huh. That was our yeah. weather app. Would you stop there for a big gulp on your way probably, in? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Okay. We'd say, thanks for, the, thanks for the tip. See, that's old school, though. Yeah. It is old school. That's like Bruce Barnum, the Portland State football coach. Okay, he did an old school move. Remember when they had their uh, football game last year out in Hillsboro? Yeah. Okay. Most of the times as a media member, you show up to the stadium and there's like a media will call window. Mm -hmm. Not with Barnum in Portland State. <laughs> I said, I'm going to come to the game. He says, I'm going to leave you a parking pass. Do you remember this? At the gas station that was on the exit right That's off of right. Highway 26. That's why we stopped there? We stopped at the gas station. Yeah. I walked in. The guy said, you Canzano? I said, yep. He hands me an envelope. It's my parking pass. Did you ever ask Barnum, like, why there? No, but I understand him. I yeah. understand that man. Yeah. I understand what makes him tick right. because I would have done the same damn thing. <laughs> you know? Yes. You, it, you're just, you need somebody to be the, the location. Yeah. The drop, well, so to go. speak. Mm -hmm. But that, that gas station attendant, you know, he's just, uh, he's the handler. Mm-hmm. And he's the way station, so to speak. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Lori is in Sun River. Lori, where am I going? Hey there, John. How are you? I'm doing well. Awesome. You're going to go to Brookwood Lodge in Bend, Oregon. Okay. Brooklyn. 2X 
Nike executives have a business there, and they're also duck grads. Okay. And the building itself has lots of history. Um, some of the, uh, let's see, the owners, the original owners, were also helped start Black um, Bachelor. Oh, okay. Like and uh, they did a, a, a um, let's see, how do you say this? Um, started a, a their sold lumber from their building. Oh, nice. And so, anyway, it's a great building, lots of history there as far as the town goes, and then the two guys that own it are also great guys and very interesting to speak to. All right, so I'm going to the Brookwood Lodge in Bend, Oregon. Brookswood. Brookswood. Yeah, Brookwood okay. Lodge in Bend, Oregon. I'm making a list of this. All right. Hey, I appreciate you listening in Sun River. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Have a good day. What's it like in Sun River today? Uh, today, well, finally the sun is out, but this morning it was 40 degrees and freezing cold. Yeah. I'll be there in the summer when it's burning hot. Like, I feel like I'm on the face of the sun. That's <laughs> well, when I go to sleep. My fingers crossed. All right. <laughs> thanks, All right, thanks, thanks, Thank Lori. Appreciate you listening. She's listening in Sun River. Love We're, it. This show's big in Sun River. Is it? It's huge. <laughs> you know, the trails of Sun River. Judah, do you spend much time in Sun River? No, I don't think I've ever been. I've been to Black Butte a few times, but not Sun River. That's you a bucket list. You need to get to me. Sun River, and then you need to ride on the bike trails, and then you need to go down to the main, what is that area called? Like the village? Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay. It is. You want to know who I ran into at the village? Who? At Sun River? Who? I ran into two different cats there that are interesting. Uh, I ran into Rick Neuheisel. He was at the ice cream parlor. Oh, yeah, that's do you right. remember that? Yeah, I do. We were in line at the ice cream parlor. There's Rick Neuheisel. I went over and talked to him, and he was like, hey, you know, we're scouting houses, John. We're looking at houses. <laughs> and then he said, you know, who has a house here is Nick Aliotti. And uh, and he was you – know, Aliotti must have given Neuheisel the advice go see Sun River. So Rick Neuheisel has a house in Sun River. We could do the show in Sun River, if Lori doesn't mind, at Lori's house. And we can have Rick Neuheisel on the show. Play a little about, music, right? How about that? Rick will be singing. That's right, Judah. All right, the 5 at 5 is coming up. Better late than never. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, the good people at Dutch Bros Coffee, you know those uh, kiosks with the great coffee and the enthusiastic employees that are always thumping the music and asking you, what are you doing today? And, you know, they're having a better time than anybody. I want to thank uh, the team at Dutch Bros for uh, sponsoring some giveaways on today's show. Um, Worlds of Sport, you've heard me talk all about it. It's happening this weekend. It's finally here. Oregon Convention Center. Saturday and Sunday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Sunday. On Saturday, Keenan Lowe, former Oregon Duck, will be doing a meet and greet and signing some books. Uh, he's written a book called Hometown Victory. Alex Molden, former University of Oregon football player, will also be talking as part of the panel discussions on Saturday, and he'll be signing his book. He's written a book as well. Uh, also on Saturday, Jaden Grant, University of Oregon, or Oregon State, sorry, blasphemy. Jaden Grant, team captain at Oregon State, 
will be uh, part of a panel discussion uh, and do a meet and greet. He'll be there to talk to Beaver fans who want to meet him and get a photo with him. Uh, Keith Brown, Oregon football player, will be there as well with Jaden Grant. And Daly McClellan, a volleyball player at the University of Oregon, will be on site. Morgan Weaver, Portland Thorns forward, will be at the Oregon Convention Center as part of Worlds of Sport. Plus, all these great activations like kick a field goal, make a putt, throw a baseball, uh, see how fast you can throw. There'll be an obstacle course for kids 10 and under. Memorabilia, huge memorabilia. It'll be the biggest sports card and collectible show in the Pacific Northwest. The biggest and the best. This is the best show. Uh, Dr. James Beckett uh, of Beckett Magazine and the Beckett Sports Card Empire. Uh, he was looking at the event, and he says, Kanzano, this is like Disneyland for a sports fan. That's the best way I can put it. It is like Disneyland for a sports fan. If you're interested, go to worldsofsport.com to get tickets and get information. Uh, courtesy of Dutch Bros, I have a four-pack of tickets to give away to, let's go, caller number three at 503-417-7575. And if you call in and you get put on hold, sit on hold. Be patient. It will be, uh, you'll, you know, you could be a winner. Probably are a winner if you get put on hold. Let's uh, play some Punch It Audio. Let's, or excuse me, let's play the Five at Five. I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. Five at Five. Let's the Five at Five. Let's start with Adam Silver, NBA Commissioner. He's going to miss tonight's Game Five of the NBA Finals. He's in COVID COVID nineteen protocol. He's not in COVID. He's in COVID protocol. Adam Silver has entered what they're calling the league's health and safety protocols. It's not clear whether he contracted it or if he's just worried. Someone around him get it. Steve Kerr of the Warriors missed three games in the second round series against the Grizzlies because of protocols. And ESPN announcers Mike Breen and Jeff Van Gundy both missed a finals game because of COVID. They're since all back. But the important part is that the basketball teams will be playing at full strength in tonight's pivotal game five. This series is still very much up for grabs. Boston hoping to take game five and put some pressure on the Warriors. Warriors, meanwhile, eyeing destiny and the legacy of their dynasty. Game five tonight in the NBA Finals. Tips at six o'clock. Anna, go, number two. Did you see the story about Joe Madden? Okay, so we talked about last week how the Angels unexpectedly fired the 68-year-old manager. We didn't know that they fired him just after he chopped his hair into a mohawk. He was trying to break the Angels' losing skid earlier this month. His team never got to see the mohawk because he was, in fact, fired before he could show it off. How sad is that? He got the mohawk and got fired. Yes! <laughs> Joe's, Joe Madden's like, you could have told me this morning. The Angels are 2-4 and four since his firing, though, so maybe the mohawk still helps. Do you think the, do you think, uh, do you think he shaved the whole thing off? Did he go, like, totally bald? It was just a mohawk. It was a mohawk. No, but after getting fired. Do you fired, know what a mohawk is? Yeah, I know. What, I know I'm not asking. It's I'm like just shaved saying, on the side, and there's a big pile of hair on top. Welcome to my life, guys. <laughs> the question I'm asking is, 
after he's fired, does he keep the mohawk or does he shave it all the way oh, off? Oh, I don't know. This is my life right here in a micro. <laughs> this is in a nutshell. You'd have to ask his stylist. I don't know. Poor Joe Madden. <laughs> Number three in our five at five. WNBA star Brittany Griner remains in Russia. She has been detained there since February. A State Department official tells CNN that they officially have classified Griner as quote-unquote wrongfully detained. Her case is now being handled by the Office of the U.S. Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs. A guy named Roger Karstens. Griner's a two-time Olympic gold medalist. She was arrested in February in Moscow at the airport. She's accused by Russian authorities of smuggling significant amounts of a narcotic substance, an offense that's punishable by up to 10 years in prison. Her coach, the Phoenix Mercury coach Vanessa Nygaard, told reporters on Sunday, quote, it's been 115 days now, 115 days that she's been wrongfully imprisoned in another country we want her to come home. That's a tough place to be. Anna, number four in our five at five, go. So our friends at PWCC say that a rookie card for Steph Curry, which is hitting the auction, yeah. could fetch more than half a million dollars. The autograph piece is up for sale with them. It's what? already bidding at more than $400,000. The front of the card has a photo of him in his Road Warriors jersey and features a cutout of his threads. It's also autographed in bold blue ink by him. Three days left in the auction. I'm, I'm looking at their site right now. PWCCMarketplace.com if uh -huh. you want to check it out. Yeah, like I look, I'm not bidding on any of these cards. Full disclosure, Anna. Okay. Uh huh. I don't want you to think that. Thanks. But, Good to know. But I'm looking here. They had a 1933 Gaudi Babe Ruth card. Ninety-five thousand dollars is the current bid. A 52 Topps Jackie Robinson PSA eight on its grading. Current bid two hundred thousand dollars. Don't. Tell your kids, oh, it's just a game, whatever. There's, you know, there are Pokemon cards on here that are currently six-figure bids. This card's super rare. It's numbered to just 99. According to our friends at PWCC, who right. incidentally will be at Worlds of Sport All right. this I wanna, coming weekend. I want to look at this Steph Curry card. I may bid on it. What if I okay? It's bidding. It's bidding it's four, at more than four hundred thousand. You're not bidding it's 420, on four hundred twenty thousand. We have children to send to college. Yeah, but someday. you know what? Maybe I can flip this. Stop it! Wow. Stop it right now. Really cool looking card. It has a piece of his jersey on there. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. know you said that. I said I, that. I'm gonna double down. Say it again. Finally, our fifth thing in our five at five. The Ravens, quarterback Lamar Jackson. They have reunited for the first time this offseason. He reported to take his physical today. He was at the Ravens facility. The team immediately tweeted out, he's at the Ravens facility. This came a day before the three-day mandatory minicamp. He had missed all three weeks of the voluntary organized team activities 
That was the first time in his five-year NFL career that he skipped out. Last time he was on the field for the Ravens was in December. He was limping around. He missed the last four games of last season with that right ankle injury. Lamar Jackson is the MVP from 2019. He told his teammates he would return soon, and he made good on it. Now can they give him some wide receivers? That's what Lamar needs. That's the five at five. Five big things going on in the world of sports. Brandon is in Eugene and has called in. I believe Brandon wants to give us a location to do this radio show. Full disclosure, Steve from Fox Sports Eugene texted me and said, the studio is almost ready. I think Steve has his heart set on the idea that I'd be doing the show in Eugene from his studio. But maybe I could do one show at Steve's studio and then another show in another location. Let's go to the phone lines as Brandon is in Eugene. Brandon, if we're barnstorming, where am I going? Hey, how you doing? Doing well. Good, good, good. I'm from Eugene, but I got a place that I visit a lot. I don't know if you ever heard of Rainbow, Oregon. I have not. Where is that? Okay, it, it's just up Highway 58. Like, if you were to start heading out toward Bend, past Thurston, way, it's about an hour past Thurston. Okay. Um, it's actually home of the United States Basketball Academy, the USBA, Tokatee Golf Course. I don't know if yeah. you've heard that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Dude, if, you're, if, you're, if you're looking for some history, some a cool place where I a lot of it. NBA NBA players have been, it's a, it's a really teeny town. It takes you like five minutes to drive through, but there's you've got yourself a huge fan base through there. Uh, I'm uh, big in Rainbow. <laughs> dude, it's Rainbow, Oregon. It's Rainbow, like, Oregon. Do you, do you know why it's through? named Rainbow? I I just I just read why it's named Rainbow. Do you know why? <laughs> Zero idea. I, I didn't even know it was called Rainbow until a few years ago. It, it's named after the native rainbow trout swimming in the water of the river. Well, hey, I got something cool for you, dude. I got so much stuff for you to do up there, dude. All right. The USBA is where you want to do it, man. Uh, home of, I don't know, the late, great Bruce O'Neill. I don't know if you ever heard of that guy. If you haven't, you should look him up. He, uh, okay. he used to coach with John Wooden at the University yeah. of Hawaii. He actually hired Rick Patino to become a coach. Look at you. Um, yeah, dude. He's, We're going to put you on staff uh, here. Oh, dude, he's a man, dude. Um, hey, hey, late, what, late, great. Rest but, but here's uh, the question. Like, when I go to, like, look at Rainbow, like the city of Rainbow, I see the Rainbow store that has food and lunch. Where am I doing the show from? Because there's a post office and there's a store. Look at the United States basketball, the USBA, good sir, or Tokatee Golf Course. Who cares, okay. man? Tokatee's falling. I like your attitude. You're like a, hey, let's just get it done guy. I like that. Yeah, Brandon. Get it out there, man. I'll, I'll bring a squad out there. I got so many I got so many basketball. I look up the United States Basketball Academy. Uh, Bruce O'Neill made this place an absolute, absolutely like legendary place, man. He's oh, yeah. got like Yao, Yao Ming out there. He's got oh, yeah. Kilo O'Neill out there. Rick it's a training camp. out there. You know, yeah, it, it's, it's funny. It's when. Place. When you know when they they had the the fires, they used that basketball academy as kind of a uh, rescue spot for people who were displaced by the fires. So there you go, Brandon. Appreciate you, man. It, yeah, you know what? And it's it's looking a lot more beautiful up there since since then. So you know, show some yeah. love up there. All right, I'll get out there. Rainbow, I like, Oregon. I like that. We got to do a show in Rainbow. So we're going to McMinnville. We're going to uh, Alf's in McMinnville. We're going to Pendleton. We're going to go to the Roundup. 
And then uh, uh, apparently I'm going to some back room at the Roundup where they're going to play poker and, you know, prohibition. Uh, then I'm going to the Brookswood Lodge <laughs> in Bend. And then, Sounds like we need to invest in an RV. And then I'm going to the uh, – somebody on Twitter said I'm going to the Dow's. I need to go to Ooh, Spooky's where? Pizza. Spooky's in, in, in the, the Dow's. Uh-huh, yeah. And now Brandon and Eugene – We've been to Spooky's. Says – oh, I have been? Yeah, we've been to Spooky's. Well, it looks like I'm going back. <laughs> is, that the, is that the place that has a movie theater inside the pizza parlor and the movie theater? No, oh, that's one? Hood River. Oh. That's Hood River. I don't know if I've been to Spooky's or not. Okay. But then I'm going to Rainbow, Oregon, and I'm going to the – Double rainbow. Oh, my God. It's a double rainbow all the way. There you go. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. That's that Judah. was alarming. That. Judah got <laughs> really into it when that guy said rainbow Oregon. Um, Just search double rainbow guy on YouTube. Yeah. It's, that's it's a, thing. a pop, popular clip. It's a thing. Okay. But yeah. I miss, missed you guys on that one. Sorry. Yeah. No, no it's you're good. HTTP YouTube.com. <laughs> Thanks, Judah. Search double rainbow. I don't guy. mind it. I just uh, Anna's not used to it, so she was like, "Who is who's that?" You could do a whole um, segment on that. In fact, you should have that guy on when you go to Rainbow Oregon. Double that, rainbow. That would be a great idea. Okay. Okay. Coming up, this we're gonna do something different here in this next segment. John Wilner, San Jose Mercury News. Yeah. We're gonna talk about the Pac-12 conference. I'm gonna drill down on Oregon and Oregon State and their chances to matter. Then I'm going to ask Wilner to put his money where his mouth is when it comes to the South Division. Is USC going to make the title game? How big a threat are they? Am I going to have to eat crow when it comes to Lincoln Riley? So much ahead. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. John Wilner, San Jose Mercury News, covers the Pac-12 Conference. I'm going to pepper him. We're going to talk about transfer quarterbacks. We're going to talk about Oregon and Oregon State. What's the upside for these teams? And I'm going to put him on the spot. I'm going to ask him, will I have to eat crow when it comes to Lincoln Riley? Everybody's saying Riley's going to win 10, 11, 12 games. I've even heard you know, playoff bound, all that crap. I sort of think USC may struggle a little bit and may have some hiccups that are unexpected. Uh, I don't think USC is going to make the title game. I'll ask Wilner about that coming up. Uh, but first, he was on the golf course with his kid, and that's why you're joining us in the 5 o'clock hour instead of earlier in the show. i got to know how that went. What a great father-son activity. Yeah, yeah it's cool. We go, uh, there's a par 3 course nearby and we go every once in a while and he's out of school so he said hey can we go play golf this afternoon and uh you know it's perfect for him it works a lot on the chipping and putting and he gets some time with dad i mean you know this is what grade oh, yeah. is he in now how old is he he is in just finished fourth grade so i got a few more years before he wants nothing to do with me <laughs> you know it you know what, though? You're giving him a gift, the time that you're giving with him. You're a good dad, John Wilner. Appreciate you. I appreciate that. Let's uh, turn the focus to the the transfer QBs in the Pac-12 conference. Um, there are seven new ones who could start. 
There are as many as nine if you count all starters. Cam Rising came from Texas to Oklahoma. And you've got uh, Ch- Chance Nolan at Oregon State, who's a community college transfer. So you could say there's nine. But of the seven newcomers, um, I'm not sure we see this all the way through the same way, Wilner. But I have Caleb Williams up top as the best. I think you do as well. But what do you make of the general trend that it just seems to be that position, y- you lean into a transfer, and that's kind of the game they're playing? It's almost impossible to avoid these days. Um, you know, Alabama can avoid it, but that's a whole different deal than just about everybody else, right? Because as soon as uh, you got a quarterback who in August realizes he's second team or, or after spring ball realizes he's going to be second team, he's in the transfer portal. And it's very hard for the head coaches to manage that position because you can't get caught with, without any depth, but it's impossible to keep the depth around. So you end up just in this cycle, uh, and it's a vicious cycle because, you know, bringing in a new quarterback doesn't necessarily know your system, hasn't worked much with your receivers and your offensive line. Uh, it, it's it's a high, much higher risk proposition than if you're just relying on a quarterback who has come up through your ranks for two or three years. Yeah, and, and as much as I want to go – I really need these teams to develop a QB. I think it's going to be hard because I think even with Oregon, you've got Jay Butterfield and you got Ty Thompson. You know, as soon as Bo Nix is named the starter, one or both of those guys is going to be looking at the portal. Oh, absolutely. So if you're Dan Lanning, right, you're waiting until, you know, a week, 10 days before the opener probably before you make a decision. Um but at the same time, that doesn't work really well for you either because you want Bo Nix to get as many reps as possible in camp if he's your guy. So, tough spot, but I would agree with you. I mean, I think one or both of those guys will leave. So, Or I hope Oregon's fourth-string quarterback uh, is, uh, is capable because sometimes that's what ends up happening to you. We're talking to John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News. Uh, let's go down the list of transfer quarterbacks that are the new guys. Caleb Williams at USC. Bo Nix at Oregon, I think, is going to start. Cameron Ward at Washington State. Michael Penix Jr. at Washington. Let's talk about those next three. Nix, Ward, and Penix Jr. What do you make of that grouping? Who are you excited to see play in that grouping? Uh, I'm excited to see Ward, partly because I haven't seen him play, right? We saw Bo Nix beat Oregon a couple years ago, and Michael Penix at, at Indiana before he got hurt. When when Kalen DeBoer was his offensive coordinator in Bloomington, he was really good. Uh, then he's had some injury problems. I'm excited to see Ward because he's such an unknown commodity. But you know, people who have seen him play say he's got elite elite talent, like is a potential NFL type player. And it's a unique situation in that he is coming to Washington State from Incarnate Word and is going to be playing for his coach because Washington State's new offensive coordinator was the incarnate word head coach, Eric Morris. So Ward is coming into a situation where he knows the playbook like the back of his hand and he knows his play caller. And it's really a good position, I think, for Washington State to to thrive in. I keep hearing the whispers, too. I haven't seen him myself, but everybody's saying Ward looks really good. He's familiar with that offense. That's a big one. Um, I think Bo Nix at Oregon is going to be fine. I think he, you know, that he, he brings some big game experience, and I think he'll be as good as the defense and the players around him allow that team to be. Michael Penix Jr. at Washington's interesting. He was at Indiana. He's now at Washington. He gets some Kalen DeBoer. 
Is there some upside for Penix Jr. there with being reunited with DeBoer in that system? I think there's upside if he can stay healthy. I mean, he's had multiple injuries the last couple of years. You know, the football people always say the best predictor of injuries is, is injuries, right? And you're more likely to get hurt if you've already been hurt. So that, to me, is the biggest question about Penix, is whether he can stay healthy for 12, enough to be effective for 12 games, right? And if not, then, then what are the Huskies going to end up doing? Are they going to Dylan Morris? Is he still there? Are they going to Sam Heward? It's a real interesting situation. They are one of the few teams that you look at and you think, you know, there's three guys and you can envision all three of them end up playing this year. Yeah, and I think it, it, it it's just such a wild card with him being at Indiana as well. And, and you know, I, I like DeBoer, but I think it's, you know, it's going to be tough, I think, for first-year coaches to truly accelerate. Uh, John Wilner, San Jose Mercury News with us. Next guy on my list is Jaden Delora at Arizona. He was at Washington State. I think he's a really gifted player. I'm just a little bit gun-shy, given how bad Arizona was last year, especially on offense, that Delora can go in there and just, you know, be the same player he was at Washington State. What do you see there? Yeah, I agree. I think that he's not going to have as good personnel around him as he did at Washington State. I mean, they're, they're going to be better at receiver than they were. But, I mean, the big thing there is they lost. You know, they ended up, I think, playing their fifth-string quarterback at one point last year because everybody's hurt. The, the whole deal with Arizona is are they going to be able to keep Delora upright, you know, and their offensive line should be a little bit better, but is it going to be good enough? I don't know. Uh, they were terrible in the red zone. They tried to recruit some size at receiver to help with that if those guys can make plays that'll that'll help too but Delora is definitely in a position where you know the the cast around him is going to really frame what he can do because we know he's a good player when he's got good players around him but it's it's definitely going to be a step down compared to what it was like in Pullman yeah and and Jed Fish do you have a sense of I know his his expertise is on that side of the ball but do you have a sense yet? It was hard to tell last year of what he can be or what Arizona can be. You know, he's certainly doing everything right off the field. I mean, they had a breakthrough-level recruiting class for them. Um, you know, he got some four-star players that they haven't been able to, out of Southern California, they haven't been able to get in a long time. Part of that's because Arizona State is such a dumpster fire, right? I mean, a lot of players that ASU would have recruited aren't, aren't going there, and so they're available to Arizona. So, But I don't know. You know, Fish, they, the only win they had last year was against a Cal team that was, like, without 20 guys because of COVID, um, including their quarterback. So he, Fish is doing everything right off the field, but it's it, at that place, it's a long haul to – seven or eight wins it's a tough job one of the toughest in the conference and and i think he can get him to respectability but i'm not sure how quickly he's going to get him beyond respectability lincoln riley coronation ceremony going on nationally everybody looking at usc talking about usc i'm anticipating some hiccups i can't forget how they got pushed around last year uh am i going to have to eat my words does usc make the conference title game, Wilner? Hmm. Uh, let's see. 
You know, I think they've got a decent chance. I, I don't think by any stretch that they're a, a lock for that conference title or, or to win 10 games. I mean, I would probably put the over-under on SC's wins at either 8.5 or 9. I mean, they've still got – their offensive line's not dominant, and they've got a lot, of, a lot of questions on their defensive front, which was run over by a lot of teams, including, you know, Oregon State. Uh, so I, I think that there's definitely questions out there. I mean, if, if you're playing seven-on-seven – you know, they are the uh, clear national championship favorite. But 11-on-11 11 11 is a different deal. And I could see them stumbling a little bit. There, there's no doubt about that. Let's go to Oregon and Oregon State. Let's try to drill down a little bit. Let's start with the Beavers. They're going to be playing in Research Stadium in front of, you know, twenty six or 27,000 people total. Uh, you know, they were undefeated at home a year ago. What's the upside-downside for Jonathan Smith? What are, you, what are you looking to see early in the year that would be a marker of success? What do you think about when you see the Beavers? Well, I saw your pictures of the stadium, and I, at first I thought I was looking at something any Leibowitz shot. Uh, <laughs> but you know, to me, a lot of it is, uh, can they win their opener, right? I mean, if, yeah. when was the last time they won their opener? 20, what, 14? I think they lost, yeah, they lost four or five in a row. You know, and, and certainly Boise and Fresno are not, those are no cream puffs, right? So, to me, a, a big story with Oregon State is, how are they going to do in non-conference? And they got to go to Fresno, that's either the, what's that, the second week of September, third week, it's going to be yeah. 110. That, that place is a little bandbox. It's going to be bedlam there. I want to see if Oregon State can get out of conference two and one, right? I mean, I think that's a big deal. Yeah, I think if that. Through, if you're not two and one, you've got a big haul to get bowl eligible. And that's the thing with them. It's it's it, Whether it's Jonathan Smith or Mike Riley or Gary Anderson, it feels to me like Oregon State, you know, in, invariably shoots itself in the foot early in the season and then spends a lot of time scrambling to get back. And I think yeah. and I think you're I think you're right about that because I think the minute they can win the games they're supposed to win, they can turn their focus from, hey, let's get bowl eligible to, hey, let's try to get to the title game. And that's a bit that's another yeah. step. That's a big leap forward. Big, big leap. That's a it's a huge difference between being two and one and one and two in that conference. The Ducks have Dan Landing. I just want to know what they're going to be about. What are you interested in seeing from Oregon, especially early on? Yeah, I mean, the opener is what you know everybody is pointing to, and I think it certainly is going to be telling, right? Can they can they stay on the field? Can they make it competitive in the fourth quarter? Uh, but you know, I'm curious. How's working going to do against Stanford? How are they going to do against BYU? The the games that you think they should win, but uh, they don't always win, especially right. especially Stanford, right? And and doing it with a new quarterback. How long is it going to take? Knicks. They got a new offensive coordinator, right? A lot of new a lot of new skill position players. How long is it going to take them to get cohesive? I think that the defensive front seven is good enough to keep them in every game. But is the offense, especially in September, going to be able to execute on third down in the red zone? You know, when when they're trailing in the fourth quarter, that's to me what's going to really separate whether Oregon 
can have an elite season or is just kind of a mediocre year. John Wilner, you're the best. I appreciate you, and I especially appreciate that you, you told our listeners, you know, what it is to be a good dad. Thanks for spending time with your kid. He's never going to forget that. And and That's how did lot. you how did you play? I stink. <laughs> Join the club, my friend. Join the he club. He can hit the ball harder than I can. Yeah, but that's not always good. <laughs> that's not no. always good, Wilner. I appreciate no, you. Ten years old. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Be well. There's John well, Wilner. All right. Spending time with his kid. Got a Father's Day weekend coming up. Some parting thoughts still ahead. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on seven fifty. The game. Coming up top of the hour, Peter Sampson right here on 750 The Game. He's got the pulse with Peter Sampson coming up. Uh, if you're having knee pain, I want to give you the solution to your knee pain. I used Reflex. I unfortunately found Reflex too late. I had already had three knee surgeries. I was in pretty bad shape. Um, listeners of the show know that you've been, you've been along for the ride. I uh, ended up... Um, having microfracture surgery. I ruptured the patellar tendon on one knee. Then, like six months later, ruptured the patellar tendon on the other knee. It was pretty brutal. I had a pretty rough stretch. And later found out that it was just, a lot of it was due to inflammation that I had in the joints that I never really dealt with. And the tissue deteriorated, and it wasn't good. But Dr. Riggs and the team at Reflex after I had sort of accepted that I was just going to be in pain forever, told me, no, 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 let's try some treatments. Platelet-rich plasma therapy, PRP. I had uh, I heard Kobe Bryant got PRP. That was my introduction to PRP. All of a sudden, it was available to me? Regular person? Great, I'll do it. Uh, they also have stem cell treatment. Uh, they also have uh, advanced cellular therapy and a whole bunch of other cutting-edge stuff. If you want to get out of pain and you have knee pain, reflexknees.com. Tell him I sent you in. Get a consult. He can help you. Leave it here. Peter Sampson and the Pulse coming up. The Bald Face Truth not here for a long time, just a good time.